I was looking. I was looking for it. Yeah. We'll call the uh, February fourteenth, uh, two thousand twenty-four meeting of uh, the Planning Commission to order. Thank you, Chair, and I'll just start with a few words. No, that's that's uh, getting some feedback. There's an echoing. Is that you? Okay, well, I'm going to proceed. Good evening, Chair Luxembourg, Planning Commissioners, staff, and members of the public, and happy Valentine's Day to all. This evening's meeting is being held at City of Sausalito Council Chambers at 420 Litho Street and is open to members of the public. Members of the public may also access this meeting and provide public comment through Zoom. With that, I will move to call roll. Commissioner Feller. Here. Commissioner Junius. Present. Vice Chair Saad. Here. Chair Luxembourg. Here. Okay, we have achieved quorum. Back to you, Chair. Okay, first item on the agenda is the approval of the agenda. Do I have a motion? So moved. Second. I will. Pips, call roll. Yep. Thank you, Chair. Commissioner Feller. Yes. Commissioner Junius. Yes. Vice Chair Saad. Yes. Chair Luxembourg. Yes. Motion passes. Uh, next item in the agenda is public comments not uh, uh, not on the public comment for items not on the agenda. Thank uh, you, Chair. I have a few words for that. This is the time for the Planning Commission to hear from citizens regarding matters that are not on the agenda. Except in very limited situations, state law precludes the Planning Commission from taking action on or engaging in discussions concerning items of business that are not on the agenda. However, the Commission may refer matters not on the agenda to staff or direct that the subject be agendized at a future meeting. Video or audio public comment participation is limited to three minutes per speaker. If you'd like to make a comment, please submit a speaker card to uh, my colleagues to my right, Matthew Mandich and Maria Hernandez. If you'd like to make a comment in the Zoom application, please raise your hand and you will be called upon when it is your time to speak. To raise your hand from a phone, press star nine and each speaker will be notified when their time has elapsed. Thank you. And Chair, just doing a quick scan of the chamber uh, and doing a quick scan of the Zoom application, seeing none, back to you. Thank you very much. Next item is Planning Commission minutes, uh, minutes from January 10th, 2024. Is there a motion? So moved. Is there a second? I'll second, I just had one note. It says December 10th, 2024, and I believe it meant to be January 10th. Uh, thank you for that amendment. Uh, I had that note as well. There's also two other notes, page uh, line 39 on page four. It has the word Tuesday twice in that line that needs to be corrected to Wednesday. That's related to the dates of our uh, planning commission meetings are on Wednesdays. Uh, in line 40 on page four, the word Tuesday also needs to be corrected to Wednesday. Um, so uh, we'll make those as amendments to the motion. We'll make the motion. Yes, that's fine. Yes. Okay, other comments? I, I just have one, it's really a question to staff. 
typically on meeting minutes for special meetings. We identify that in the meeting minutes that it's a special meeting, not a regular meeting. I'm just curious if we need to do that in this as well. If it, it was a, says that. if it was a special meeting and it's not indicated that it was a special meeting, then it should be added. Okay, thank you. Uh, my understanding is the title of the top doesn't say special meeting, but the first paragraph does. If council is um, amenable, I, I would uh, appreciate council's consensus to have that added to the heading. Uh, the, I, as, on behalf of the commission, I would recommend that we add that to the heading. And if uh, the maker of the motion and the second would, would no be problem. amenable, thank you. Okay. Other comments, changes to, to the minutes of January 10th, 2024? Uh, seeing none, uh, Director Phipps, call the roll, please. Thank you, Chair. Commissioner Feller? Yes. Commissioner Junius? Yes. Vice Chair Saad? Yes. Chair Luxenberg? Yes. Motion passes. Thank you for your comments. Uh, next item is number five, communications. Thank you, Chair. Uh, I have two items of communication this evening. The first is related to future meetings. Uh, specifically, CDD will be canceling the February 28th meeting of the commission as no projects will be ready for commission review at that time. With that in mind, the next meeting of the commission um, is now scheduled for March 13th, 2024, and that is uh, as a complement or in line with our regular meeting schedule. Thank you. On to the second communication item this evening. It relates to former Commissioner Graff's committed service to the city of Sausalito. And uh, I believe Chair Luxenberg has a few words that he'd like to say to you, Chair. Richard, uh, on behalf of the Planning Commission and the City of Sausalito, I want to thank you for your service to the city. As most of us know, you've just completed your second three-year term on the Planning Commission. What many may not know is that in, uh, previously you served two other terms on, on the Planning Commission. And uh, in the early 90s, you also served on the Design Review Board. So your long service to the City of Sausalito is greatly appreciated. Your, ba your background in graphic design, fashion, and industrial design has served you well in your role as, on the Planning Commission. I have always looked to you when, you, uh, when I was searching for input on our various design elements of the many projects the Planning Commission has reviewed, and I appreciate your input greatly. I know that your involvement in Sausalito goes beyond your role on the Planning Commission. As a member of the Galilee Harbor since 1980, you've also not only served on their board of directors numerous times, but you were also involved with the early days of the Maritime Day, which has been an important Sausalito event for over 40 years. You were also responsible for the permanent exhibit at the Bay Model about the Marine ship in the World War II, and the logo for that exhibit was your graphic design. So in honor of your service, um, Maria, uh, do we have, uh, uh, Director Phipps has uh, for you, we want to oh present my. to you uh, a plaque uh, which honors your service greatly. Oh my God! Well, thank you. <laughs> what can I say? Thank you so much. Um, there were a couple little minor errors in your history there, but I don't think it matters much. Um, I didn't design the logo for the Marin ship. I designed it for the uh, art festival years ago, the elephants and the uh, palm trees. 
Um, but anyway, uh, yes, it's been my pleasure uh, for so many years to be part of this effort, you know, to to uh, <clears throat> keep track of what's what's getting built in our city and and uh, uh, anything that I've done over the years um, that that's been a benefit. I'm really glad to have done it. Um, I, I wasn't prepared for this, so. Anyway, thank you all so much. And um, I don't know what to do now, except take my little plaque down and go sit in the audience. Well, before you do that, I think some of the other members wanted to have some comments. Oh, well, okay. Chair, thank you, Chair. Um, I haven't known you very long, Richard, but I, I, can, I, can, I can spot a devoted civic servant a mile away, and you are just exemplary, the, the decades that you've spent uh serving this beautiful city of ours are just beyond appreciated i can't tell you for somebody who is serving for the very first time uh in in a capacity such as yours uh, having hung out with commissioners and city council members and members of the board of supervisors for decades knowing how hard they work and finally getting to sit up here with somebody like you is really it's just been an honor and i just want to again thank you so much for your service so we'll see you around galilee harbor we'll be around thank you andrew thank you in the interest of saving my voice because I'm unwell, but you know how um, you know our friendship, Richard. So I wanted to say thank you, and I'll definitely see you around for for our afternoon catch up sometime. I'll thank you alive. very much. It was a pleasure to serve with you. Thank you, Commissioner Fellow. Uh, thank you, Chair um, Richard. You've uh, for as long as I've been on this commission, you've been on this commission, and so when I was a new commissioner here, you were very graceful and patient with me and helping me. And I appreciate also your attention to detail and the time that you took with many of our applicants uh, as part of a work group to help them finalize their applications after the commission approved it under those conditions. So I think that the city is much better for that. I think the projects are much better and I think the owners are much much happier with your input. So thank you so much for all of your volunteer service and um, a wonderful friendship too. So thank you. Thank you, Christina. Um, again, uh, it's sad to leave. Uh, I've been doing this for so long. It's been a part of my life. So um, I guess I'll take a break. Director Phipps, any further comments on this side? Uh, I'll, I'll just say um, on behalf of staff, uh, former Commissioner Graff, that, that we have had um, a, tr a wonderful time working with you and have wholly appreciated your presence on the commission. Um, when you come to our office, you make staff smile. You increase our smiles per hour. So you move us forward in a beneficial way, um, and, and I will forever be indebted to you for that. You are always invited to planning commission meetings moving forward. Um, you'll just have to sit on the other side of the room. So feel free to join us. Um, and I'll just say, you know, I've learned a lot from you. And one of the things that I have already applied multiple times to descriptions of projects and buildings is the ability to call a building handsome. Um, and that is something that you applied to our 265 Gate 5 road approval. I have already used it multiple times. So thank you. Um, and your experience in design uh, has, has been unmatched. So really appreciate it. Thank you, Director Phipps. Um, again, my pleasure.
and I'll retire to the audience. Uh, thank you again, uh, Commissioner Graff. Uh, at this point, we uh, are there other any other items from staff on item on the communication item, uh, Director Phipps? Nope, that is it for me. Uh, Here, thank you. Commissioners, have any items under communications this evening? No. No. Okay. With, with that, I'm going to take public comment on item five. Uh, Director Vicks, if you can give instructions, please. Same instructions apply as before. To raise your hand from a phone, press star nine. If you have not submitted a speaker card, please do so. And looking to the Zoom application or raised hands, seeing none, looking to the chamber or raised hands or interested speakers, uh, seeing none. Back to you. Okay. Uh, First item uh, for not item six, public hearings. Uh, I'm going to look for commissioners to have any ex parte uh, declaration. No communications. Nothing to declare. I have no communications, but I do want to note for the record, I did go by uh, 215 Sausalito Boulevard again to re-familiarize myself with this particular parcel. Thank you, Chair. Uh, and I also uh, have gone by... 215 Sausalito Boulevard as well, and have no ex parte communications. With that, we're going to now hear item 6A, 215 Sausalito Boulevard. The applicant, Christopher Sullivan uh, Longwater Trust, is proposing a new two-unit development uh, with an accessory dwelling unit, 215 Sausalito Boulevard, uh, submitted to uh, pursuant to government code section 6591. 3.4, which was originally enacted as SP35. Uh, with that, we'll be looking for staff to do a presentation. So, uh, Mr. Sullivan, uh, public hearing format dictates that staff conduct the first presentation followed by apl applicant presentation. Thank you. Hello, commissioners. Good evening. Uh, so the project here before you today is a little bit different than some of the other projects I've presented in the past. Uh, this is a design review of uh, 215 Sausalito Boulevard. However, this will be under the Assembly Bill 330 and SB 35. We will strictly be reviewing this application for its compliance with the city's relevant objective design standards. First slide, please. Just to familiar yourself, familiarize yourselves with the site here. Uh, you can see 215 Sausalito Boulevard here and here. Um, it is on the south side of the street on a steep upslope, 70%. And it was uh, subdivided 15 years ago from 111-109 uh, Marion, which sits just behind here. Uh, next slide, please. Here is an image of the site today. As you will notice, um, it does not have access to the road below. Um, steep site, as mentioned, upslope from Sausalito Boulevard. And uh, this is currently the access to the site today. Um, next slide, please. So moving on to the project proposal. Um, this is for a new two-unit housing development with accompanying detached ADU on an undeveloped lot. This is submitted pursuant to government code section 65913.4, enacted by SB 35. Um, this does allow for a design review or Housing Accountability Act design review by the local planning commission. However, and I'm just gonna read this quote directly. This design review shall be objective and strictly focused on assessing compliance with criteria required for streamlined projects, as well as any reasonable objective design standards published and adopted by ordinance or resolution by a local jurisdiction before submission of a development application. Next slide, please. 
So just to give you a little bit of background, a timeline on how this kind of project has evolved over the last year, um, we've received a preliminary application from the applicant, uh, February 14th, 2023. Uh, six months later, we received the full application, uh, August 15th, 2023. Uh, on September 13th, a notice of incomplete application was issued to the applicant by CDD. Um, October 14th, the project was resubmitted based on those comments and deemed complete. On November 7th, uh, after review of the proposed project, a letter from CDD to the applicant determining that the project is not compliant with the city's objective standards was sent. On December 7th, the applicant and the city entered into a tolling agreement uh, to give the applicant more time to uh, resubmit, adjust, uh, respond to comments presented in that November 7th letter. Uh, and then we had a final submission January 26th, applicant resubmits the project with only slight changes um, to the proposed project above. And uh, those are the changes and that, that plan set that was submitted on January 26th is the one that has been attached to the agenda and the one that we are reviewing today. Um, on February 5th, CDD then issued another uh, second non-compliance letter um, in response to that submittal. And here we are today, February 14th, planning commission hearing to review if the project is compliant with the city's objective standards. Next slide, please. Um, so just to familiarize yourself a little bit with the area again, um, 215 Sausalito Boulevard, this star right here. Um, this is our from our general plan land use element. And you can see that this is in our medium high density residential zone um, right in this area right here, coincides with that. Next slide, please. This also co coincides with our R225 district. You can see right here, 215 Sausalito Boulevard within the R225 2.5 um, multifamily district. Next slide. So relevant city standards. Um, from the general plan, the land use element, this uh, the medium high density residential zone right here. This is the R225 zone. It talks about things like the maximum FAR allowed or floor area ratio, 0 0.65, maximum building coverage, 50%. In the city's housing element, these numbers are also stated, maximum site coverage, 50%, maximum floor area ratio, 6.5. This also includes our height limit, 32 feet, rear, rear setbacks, 15 feet, side setback, five, and front setback, zero. Next slide, please. This is um, our relevant city standards. This is from the zoning code, chapter uh, title 10, chapter 22. And you can see again, all the same numbers that we looked at before from the general plan and the housing element, focusing on these specifically, which include the floor area ratio, building coverage, impervious service, surface, excuse me, um, and the setbacks and height limit. Again, 0, 05, 15, 32. So, um, Moving on to a city council resolution, number 6059, adopted July 13th, 2021. This resolution was um, made to for specifically for AB 330 and SB 35 projects um, to identify the objective standards within the city's zoning code that already existed at that time in July 2021. Next slide, please. As you can see from exhibit A of this resolution, um, title 10, our zoning regulations, multiple um, general development, uh, guidelines were identified here in this exhibit and in the resolution, including, um, you know, minimum parcel size, building coverage, um, setbacks, setbacks in, sorry, I can't read that right there, but setbacks require exception to required setbacks, height limits, and building coverage, all the things that we just talked about in the previous slides. Next, please. So moving on to the proposed site plan uh, that is before you today for compliance review. Um, this is the site plan itself. You'll recognize the shape from the location slide earlier. Uh, Sausalito Boulevard, it's down here. 
Um, this is a proposed driveway that would cut through the city right away to give access to the site. Um, the site plan is a bit difficult to decipher. We have a lot of different buildings, decks, um, a lot of different things going on, different structures, and we're going to walk through those kind of one at a time um, just to for clarity. Um, but as you can see, it's, it's a very densely packed site um, with not that much impervious surface space there. Um, moving to the next slide, please. I'm just going to stand slightly over here for a better view. So this is the proposed parking area. Uh, this is the, the first level of the project connecting to the driveway and down to the street below. Um, it is 2,650 square feet with four parking spaces. Um, this is also the main entry point to the unit one, which is the primary unit of the proposed project. Next slide, please. Here is the first floor of unit one as you enter up from uh, the garage level. This is a living space here with a, a kitchen, large um, a ceiling, tall ceiling here with a pitched glass roof, as you'll see on the, the second floor. Uh, this leads up to three bedrooms and bathrooms on the second floor here with several decks protruding off to the side here. Large steel beams here, which support a pool above, cantilever pool on the, the top floor. Um, so you can move up. And again, this is a this this unit right here is a 3,187 square feet total. Um, moving to the next floor. Next slide, please. This is the third floor, which sits on top of that, which is a oval shape. Contains the primary bedroom, um, walk-in closet, wet room, shower area, uh, a tub uh, with a heated glass floor, and um, several other decks coming off of that. And then moving up to the top, the roof deck, which sits above this uh, third floor. Um, you can see hot tub, pergola, um, fireplace, heating elements, and uh, a large cantilevered pool, which I touched on earlier, that is supported by these large metal beams um, below. Uh, next slide, please. Moving to the elevations, uh, we can see here, I've, I've just selected two of the elevations here, um, the, the west and the south. Um, again, we can see the different levels we kind of just walked through briefly there with uh, the parking level here, first floor, second floor, third floor as viewed from the west with uh, those large steel beams we discussed, and the upper floor with the pool. Again, from a slightly different angle, viewing that uh, oval shape from a different side here, you can see the parking. First floor, second floor, spiral staircase, third floor, oval shape, and then the roof deck and pool on top. Next slide, please. So this is moving to the second proposed unit, unit two. Um, right here, we have the entrance coming in, living area, kitchen space. Moving up to the next floor right here, a small living area with a spiral staircase that then gives us access to the third floor here with a bedroom and bathroom and other living space. Again, several decks attached to this as well, as we can see in the next slide, elevation. So here's the elevation. Uh, just again, I think I selected west and south here just for brevity, um, showing the entry for second floor and third floor here and from the south side there. Next slide, please. Finally, uh, the third structure and third unit proposed for the lot is a ADU. Um, this is the floor plan here. Um, first floor here, second floor here. This is 487 square feet. Uh, next slide, please. And here are some uh, images of that in sections or in elevations as well. Um, and I believe it's south and north elevation on this one here. So gives you an idea of what these structures uh, will look like. So moving on to kind of the, the point of why we're here, the subjective zoning standards, uh, looking for consistency with those. And as we can see, moving down the list, um, we have several here, a couple that are, are compliant, such as, you know, the, the lot size, the dwelling units um, per 
per uh, square feet. You get two dwelling units per 2,500 square feet. Um, this is met because the third detached unit, the ADU, is exempt from these uh, development standards. So that's compliant. But moving into the setbacks, we can see some discrepancies here. Um, the 0, 15, 5, and 5 are not respected. We have 0, 3.82, or 83, sorry, excuse me, 3.83 feet, 5 feet, and then 0 feet. Um, again, moving to uh, the height limit, 32 foot max, 56 feet is what's uh, proposed. This is non-compliant. Um, looking at building coverage, 50% max. We're up at 80% 80, 80 here. Uh, again, non-compliant. Uh, some of the plans, as you saw before, are a bit difficult to read with all of the decks and things going on on the grayscale, stuff like that. So um, it, this building coverage is could be higher than that um, based on what we're able to decipher. Um, again, moving on to uh, floor area ratio, 0.65 is what allowed. We are at the proposal 0.69. However, if you include that 2,600 uh, square foot garage, we're up over 1.16. And then the ADU, which is exempt from these calculations, I just have it here as it's part of the proposal, and that's 0.08. So again, not compliant with FAR, um, our floor area ratio. And then finally, moving on to impervious services for this zoning district, 75% is the max. We are over 80%, and based on the site plan and what we're able to determine, it's probably likely even higher than that. Again, difficult to discern from the plans provided. So this is also non-compliant. Finally, parking, two spaces per dwelling unit. These are both provided. We have four spaces. The ADU is exempt because it is within 0.5 miles of a public transit stop. So generally um, non-compliant with our objective zoning standards, specifically when it comes to building coverage, impervious surface, height, setbacks, and floor area ratio. Um, next slide, please. So while the city and the department very much support development on the slot of a, a three-unit development, unfortunately, the project as proposed would violate the applicable height limit, floor area ratio, maximum coverage, impervious surface coverage, side and rear setbacks that apply to the parcel under the general plan and the applicable city zoning codes. Um, so unfortunately, we staff must recommend the denial of this project. Um, alternatively, the commission may continue the hearing for more information or approve the project as proposed. Uh, thank you, and I'm happy to answer any questions. Uh, thank you, Mr. Mandage. Uh, at this point, and again, excellent and thorough staff report. We appreciate that. Uh, with this, I'll get questions from the commission. Uh, Commissioner Fellow. Thank you, Chair, and uh, thank you, Matthew, for yet another very thorough um, uh, staff report here and presentation. Thank you. Um, I just had a couple questions for clarification. One is in your February 5th, um, letter that the, the city issued to the applicant. Um, uh, in the last paragraph, you were asking uh, for any uh, received or resubmissions by February 12th. Did you receive any? No, we did not. Okay, thank you for clarifying that. Um, and then in terms of the accessory dwelling unit, um, you said uh, no parking required because it's within a half a mile, which is our which is our code. But which transit stop are you uh, measuring to? From the transit stops located on Second Street, um, Second and Main. Oh, okay. By okay. Portofino, okay. across the street yeah. from Portofino. Yeah. yeah okay, got mm -hmm. it. Got it. Okay, and um, I think those are all my questions. Thank you, Chair. Uh, thank you, Commissioner Fellow. Uh, uh, Commissioner Ruth, uh, Commissioner Saad, no, thank you. Uh, thank you, Mr. Mandage. At this point, uh, I'm going to ask Attorney Branham, do you have any uh, comments on, on this project at this time? 
And not at this time, although I think um, community development director Phipps wanted to, um, oh, my apologies. We, we were going to um, make something known to the public before public comment, but, but are we gonna move to the applicant's presentation now? If so, I have nothing to add at this point. Okay, thank you, uh, Attorney Branham. Uh, Director Phipps, no. Okay, uh, at this point, then we go to uh, the uh, applicant's presentation, uh, yes. So applicant, you'll have 15 minutes to do a presentation. Uh, please come up, you need to speak into the microphone at all times. Chair, I, I do have a couple you of- You have to speak into the microphone at all times. I do have a couple of housekeeping items before the clock starts, if I uh, may. I don't know, uh, uh, City Attorney Branham is, the housekeeping items are part of the timeline, isn't it? Yes, I, I would ask that we start the clock um, and then it, we can respond afterward if needed, which won't count against your 15 minutes. So uh, you have 15 minutes, uh, you can start your presentation. I'll need to get the equipment set up first before the clock starts. Uh, that's nobody fine. can see my screen. <laughs> we, yes, we can pause the clock to get his equipment set up. There a way to share the screen with, uh, could you help me? Thanks. Confirming that I can see that on Zoom in case that's helpful. Thank you, Annie. Okay, Mr. Sullivan, whenever you're ready. Yes. Good evening staff manager good evening commissioners and uh, welcome to various departments uh, from sacramento who are joining us this evening for this sb35 hearing the resolution that we've been pointed to is 6059 has been a, a common uh, wording in emails back and forth and that is what we've been told we must comply with so here is 6059. Um, I've tried to be helpful and, and copy the resolution uh, into the um, into the slides. 105450, with which you're very familiar. Uh, the purpose of that is to uh, provide authority for design review permits 
or discretionary review for two family houses. SB 35 prohibits discretionary review, thus the zoning ordinance that was put together in quite a hurry during the pandemic, I think in two meetings passed as a resolution on the consent calendar, was described as a list of objective standards for the HAA. That was the intent of the legislation. And nowhere near as many folks use SB 35 um, as uh, their, their their way to um, get past um, vociferous neighborhood comments and so forth. Um, so the ordinance and the city code bans, prohibits SB 35. So that, folks, was a short meeting. Um, there are no resolutions or ordinances that allow for SB 35 processing. Don't want to disappoint you, but <laughs> that's that's what we have. Nothing there. The new ordinance that's in its second reading makes no resolution of the issue of discretionary processing. It still remains defined design review permit. If we don't get a design review permit, we commit a criminal offense, one misdemeanor a day. Um, you make approximately $800,000 and it's leanable against the property which you can recover. The city's got a pretty big taking against the property at the moment these last 19 years. So folks, the show is over. There's no way to process an SB 35 by law, which is what we must do, as we all know. So the statutes criminalized SB 35. Let's say we can get past that. Let's start with floor area ratio. And the standards Any speaking you need to do in the microphone, please? Sure. So these are the standards. No personal or subjective judgment by a public official. Standards have to be uniformly verified by reference to an external and uniform benchmark or criterion available and knowable by both the development applicant or the proponent and the public official before submittal. Uniform, the meaning not varying or variable, constant in every situation and condition. Under the HAA, which applies here, um, it is the policy of the state that this section be interpreted and implemented in a manner to afford the fullest possible weight to the interest of and the approval and provision of housing, specifically my home for my children also. Structures and buildings to be located in the public right-of-way shall be included in the coverage and file calculation. That is correct. Please correct me if I'm wrong. That is in the odds. So, folks, I have a handout. Am I um, able to pass that around? Please. Uh, enter to it. give it to the community development uh, department, sure. and they'll transport it to uh, the commission. Thank you. 
So folks, I'm, I'm asking for some help here. Uh, areas outside the lot must be used to calculate far. Um, let's go to the driveway. Uh, the fire department will not provide for a home there. It's a high fire risk area and uh, there must be a driveway. Um, with and the fire department have signed off for that driveway because the house must be reachable. There are difficult access roads behind that could even cause problems for this future home. Both far and lot coverage and a derivation impervious must be um, calculated from encroachments. So the city wants you know 100% of that space, but no allowance. And it's subjective. 5630 driveways are subject to CDD review and recommendation. Driveways are subject to review of the city engineer. Parking design is subject to the approval of the city engineer. So what is the value of the FAR outside um, of the driveway in the lot? Some uh, fill-ins here uh, for the 12 subjective pieces. If you folks can fill in those values for me, then we can we can start a design. But you can't start a design without the FAR. Impervious is controlled by coverage. So what is my impervious allowable? What, what am I allowed? How do I design a compliant home? The, the, the lot is 40 foot up and 30 foot across to the unfinished um, right away. Height. Heights um, is discretionary in the code. Uh, it says may be changed. May is defined as discretionary in the definitions in 1088. Height has a very strong relationship to the property line type. We need to know what the difference is between a road and a street as a designer. It's not defined. What is a road? There's debate about what's a street. Height requirements for detached structures, each is dealt with separately. What about attached structures? Can we have three attached structures? How does the height calculation for average grade work there? We don't know what driveway will be permitted. And it's very clear that the structures go into, as we were told in our denial last year, the structures go into the right of way. So where is our height? How can we calculate the height, folks? I'm designing a building. I need to know these basic numbers. I've got to know them objectively. Otherwise, I have to come to the Planning Commission for a discretionary review. And we know that that has been very, very, very problematical in cities around the state, including Sausalito. What is the value of the CDD will make a determination? So here's my sheet on height. If you folks could fill in these values for me from 040, 060B, all included in odds, 060 is an ADU included in the height calculation. It's not defined. We have an ADU in the center of the sequence. What are appurtenances? 
you can judge that when you're in discretionary. You can discuss it, but not for SP35. We wish for a sloped roof. It may be permitted. May is designed, defined as discretionary. I cannot determine the height limits as a designer in the Sausalito odd. Let's talk about property lines. Street means a right of way or a prescriptive right of way and which is customarily used for automobile travel and providing vehicular access to abutting property, not the abutting property. As a developer, I'm always keen to know where the street is because trucks can be parked there and excavation equipment. The suggestion from CDD is that it's that second street is not a street. We have to know if it's a street. It looks like a street to me. Street vacations, I'm trying to do one in Los Angeles at the moment, are very complicated and very expensive. The city doesn't want to give its right-of-ways back. They, they may need them in the future. It's a discretionary process to vacate a street. A street must be vacated for it not to be a street. Therefore, in case uh, but on more than one street, the parcel owner may elect any street parcel line, provided that such choice in the opinion of the CDD will not be injurious to adjacent properties. What is injurious? What is the value of that? Anybody? By the way, how's it going filling in those forms? Because you guys have been emailing me for six months telling me that I have to comply with the objective design standards. We've got hundreds of letters, tens of thousands of dollars of lawyers' bills from Sergio Rudin. Is it in his interests to reach a conclusion or create a debate? Just so you're aware, you have three minutes, 30 seconds left. I don't know if you want to reserve some time for any rebuttal after public comment. Let's find the parcel lines, folks. We can't find the parcel lines. We don't know where the front, rear, and sides are. Setbacks. What is the value of light and open space, visual relief, and flexibility? Please inform me as a designer designing a home, what are those values? I need to know before I start a design. I need to know under law. Anybody? Permitted projections into setbacks. Definitions define setbacks as setbacks that have no construction, where no construction is permitted. Section 70DE, the famous one, has a typo in it. We don't know whether it's the last sentence of section DE or the last section of sentence D and E. That's a major restriction in the zoning code, as Chair Luxembourg wrestled with to try to figure out Pine Street in a, in a meaningful way. I've got one for uh, best and best, please. What are the yard depths based on the objective design standards 
that Sergio Rudin has written to me every week to say that we must comply with. Even if we truncated the code, folks, we still couldn't get to the answers. We ran this through a, a logic model. Uh, your code will produce 15.2 billion possible homes based on a logic tree that you use every two weeks. It produces one conformant home of negative 230 square feet. If you go backwards through the code, which is what Mr. Mandich was doing, must have been a lot of work, you have no conformant homes. As you know, you can't really go backwards in SP35. You have to go forwards. Retaining walls. Planning Commission has the authority to review and make recommendations. So nothing for retaining walls, folks. Um, encroachments are by land use precedent, I believe. This is an example one. Um, has a 42% encroachment of the um, of the private lot approved uh, last year by the Planning Commission. Many, many others in the Sausalito, big ones. Uh, the Commission must consider the application based upon any objective standards specified in any state or local laws. Conductors review in a similar way for the encroachment. Thank you very much. Very much. At this point, we're going to have questions of the commission. And uh, I want to start us off. Uh, Director Phipps, can you give me back that zoning analysis table from Mr. Mandage's presentation? I do not have that table accessible in this moment. If you'd like me to uh, pull it back up, I can do that. But you'd have to give me a moment. Uh, I will give you a moment. That would be fine. I believe it's a truncated table from the general plan. Uh, no, I'm, uh, it's a, that's not the table I'm looking for. Okay, sorry, that was on. It was in the presentation. That's the one, thank you. Thank you, Maria. Uh, so, um, can we go back to the table? Thank you. So uh, if, you, uh, if uh, I understand your request, you'd like me to read and summarize this table based oh, on... I just want the table on the board. Excellent. Good I'm enough. Not, Thank you. Look, I'm not looking for you to analyze it. So if we could uh, yeah, just bring it, uh, uh, bring it up without the, uh, the headers or whatever, just so it's big, a little bit bigger. Presentation mode or whatever. Okay, so you asked a series of questions. Uh, this table, which we've used on hundreds of projects, so many, many years, defines what the setbacks are. It defines what the building height is. It defines what the building coverage is. Defines the floor area ratios. It gives you a, a it's formula, it's a formula. Uh, your lot size, you can go to the assessor's records, you have a, 
you have property lines. You can determine where your property lines are. The setbacks are from those property lines. Uh, so we have these very clear standards that your that you project needs to meet. We are supportive of a three-unit project, two units plus a ADU on the site, and we're looking for you to try to meet these particular standards, which are very specific and very defined. And so I guess I'm going to I'll ask you if we allow you time to meet these standards, can you revise your design to comply with the, uh, can you revise your design uh, in light of the, these numbers which you, you were asked questions on, we have them and they're on the screen of what, the, you know, your square footage is clear, your FAR is a function of your square footage of your lot. These are not, these are all mathematical. Chad Luxemburg, I, I've seen your work. I appreciate your public service. You were a a developer. I'm a developer. We sort of understand each other. I spent years on the East Coast talking very directly as you. The point is that you have to start knowing what the code allows in terms of floor error ratio, in terms of height, and those elements, as you would expect from a code that's evolved, that has added in its DNA a subjective element because processing has been discretionary in California forever. These things are decided at the dais historically. Now they're not. They're decided by the designer at the beginning of the project. So he doesn't have to redesign the project 10 times. It's organized to reduce the housing crisis. Fixed. Ministerial processing Wiener 2017, Wiener 2023, October the 10th, and engrossed and signed by the governor. These are the standards. Yeah, I, I, well, I understand fully what the laws require. The, what we're telling you is, is that, or at least what I'm telling you, is we yes. do have very defined numerical standards for FAR, non-discretionary, they're, they're, the, these are clear. Height is very clear. This, your height limit for this project is 32 feet. You hit, you're at something, I believe, in the era, area of 57 feet. No matter how you possibly analyze this, it's non-compliant. I'm trying to help you here. No, you're, you're trying, but you're not helping. <laughs> you know, that's an opinion, I guess. But, yeah, sure. But we're but but you're you're not compliant with this the series of standards. I'll I'll get a, a different other commissioners in a second. Let me just ask you a second question. I, I which, need to which of yeah. the wait, which of the three units are you going to put a deed restriction on for low and moderate income? Probably the ADU, though in fact SB four twenty three provides for ministerial by right non-discretionary, non-subjective, objective processing based on three identified rules. And if there are 10 units or less, there is no affordable requirement. January the 1st, 2024. I believe uh, that's the case, but I will defer to the city attorney on, on that issue. Ah, the city attorney, yes. They've been great at their advice over the year. Uh, let's not disparage anybody where you want to be civil here. I do not appreciate disparage of any anybody's uh, character or whatever. 
Uh, uh, I have other questions, but let me defer to others. I, I don't think I had an opportunity to answer your first question, which is a really important point or, uh, or observation. Uh, well, uh, how long would, uh, if you had time to revise your plan to meet these very clear objective standards, how long would it take you to, to uh, I'm trying to figure out a way so you can get your house built. No, there's no, there's no way. There's never been a way in Sausalito. Four houses in 20 years. There's never been a way because what happens is we try to, if you, if we try to do the design. If you don't think there's a way to build a house, I'm not sure why you submitted. But when was the last house that you approved here? I'm trying to help May you, I, but yes, yeah, I'll, I'll just, defer to. I, I think others. what the chair is attempting to do is yes. to see if you're willing to redesign to our defined objective standards. <laughs> if you are, I believe potentially offering maybe a continuance that's at your discretion. Otherwise, I think you need to answer a yes or no if you're willing to redesign. We've already done that. We went back under Mr. Rudin's direction. We went back to the to the well. We went back to the code for three months. Crazy. So if you don't know where your average natural grade is, can you explain to me to answer your question, how do I find average natural grade height in your code? I know your code, but you know it. Of course, better than I do. I, I mean, we're not going to sit here tonight and 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 do that. But uh, simply, uh, if you took from uh, if you took from where your parking is to the top of your building, it, it clearly exceeds thirty-two feet. It, there isn't even a question. It exceeds average natural grade. It doesn't go from natural grade. I, we're not going uh, to go there. Commissioner Fella, uh, I think, is into all this stuff. Yeah. Chair, if I may. Yeah, um, thank you, Commissioner I, Yeah, thank, thank you, Chair, for, for the floor. I, I think um, it's not helpful um, to be talking over one another. I think if you are asking a question, that needs to be asked without interruption. Yeah. Because there are also a lot of people at home listening to this. Yes, of course. So, we are uh, uh, videotaping this, and there's an audio tape as well, which yes. we use for our public record. Sure. So at this point, um, I don't have any questions for for the applicant chair at this time. But um, thank you for for the floor. Uh, uh, Vice Chair Junius, do you have questions? Uh, okay. Uh, what's that? Uh, yes. Uh, I apologize. I made that mistake. Uh, others did that when I did too. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Uh, Vice Chair, do you have? I don't. Question? I don't have any. Questions. You don't have any questions. Okay. So uh, at at this point, uh, um, if we don't have any additional questions of the applicant, uh, there was no time left. We will turn to the public comment part, and I'm going to turn to Director Phipps and uh, Attorney Branham for dis uh, instructions for. I must make a housekeeping point before we would start any public comment, please. Uh, I think yeah, I'll, I, I think I, I have some words to say, and uh, I hope that it addresses your housekeeping item, uh, Mr. Sullivan. So thank you, Chair. Uh, I'd just like to, yeah, prime the item as stated in connection with this particular item before we get started. Um, as a Brown Act body, the Planning Commission is required to receive public comment on all items uh, on its agenda prior to taking action on them. That is why we are allowing public comments this evening. However, commissioners ought to keep in mind uh, that public comments that we do not 
that do not address this project's compliance with the city's objective design standards. Uh, for example, comments discussing concerns such as privacy, sun, shade, et cetera, cannot be considered by the commission in its treatment of the pending application and should not be discussed by the commissioners at the meeting. Um, and just as a quick reminder, state law defines objective standards to mean standards that involve no personal or subjective judgment by a public official and are uniformly verifiable by reference to an external and uniform benchmark or criterion available and knowable by both the development application, uh, excuse me, applicant or proponent and the public official uh, before submitting. Before. Examples of standards that can be measured with certainty uh, uh, include height limits, FAR, setbacks and, and some of the other objective standards as discussed. So that, that does it for uh, my housekeeping in advance of this public comment and I'll pass it back to you chair to open it up. I still have a comment on housekeeping if I may chair before we do that. Uh, Just a half, I'll, I'll be 30 I seconds. Want to make sure we follow proper procedure. I'll ask the uh, city attorney whether a housekeeping mm -hmm. item can yes. be brought in at this time. Uh, Mr. Sullivan, you can make a comment as it pertains to public comment. Um, we reserve the right to respond as appropriate and um, just, yeah, if you could keep it very brief, that would be appreciated. Sure. Be because of very strong public input, Wiener SB 423, October the 16th, engrossed on the 16th and effective January the 1st, 2024, I have 33 other units in SB35 processing at the moment, so I'm getting pretty familiar with the code. Removes the authorization for public oversight of SB35, SB423 applications, and the city attorney has accepted that these hearings are subject to that law. We don't have an agreement on public comment. Following my big disagreement with Mr. Rudin, I called the HCD, who clarified they said, yes, it looks like maybe under the Brown Act, there are going to be comments coming in, but the obligation is on the chair of the Planning Commission, sorry about this, Mr. Luxembourg, to state that public comments will be disregarded by the Planning Commission, even if they're about objective or non-objective design standards. That is the law, folks. That is the state law today. We have nothing to hide but we know there's a long history of disturbance of these items by public comment of people that don't want any development. Thank you, Mr. Sullivan. Uh, I'm going to ask the city attorney uh, uh, any response. Uh, I, we're going to take public comment, I believe. Yes, we will. Um, Chair, if, if you don't mind reiterating what Community Development Director Phipps has said, which is that um, public comments will be accepted, but the Planning Commission will only take into consideration in making its determination tonight those that relate to objective design standards. If you wouldn't mind making that statement for the record, then it sounds like that would satisfy um, the opinion that Mr. Sullivan received from HCD. Uh, thank you, uh, City Attorney. Um... I state my gonna, disagreement with that uh, procedure. Uh, um, can you, uh, you can take a seat right now. We're going to do public comment, and then uh, we will uh, proceed after that. Thank you very much, Mr. Sullivan. Uh, with uh, with uh, that, and I understand. Uh, with that, we're now going to take public comment, uh, either from people in the audience or people on Zoom. Uh, you're you're going to be allowed three minutes for public comment. Uh, state your name and address for the record, 
uh, we will um, take those comments. However, as uh, Director Phipps indicated, uh, any comments uh, uh, related to other than objective design standards will cannot be considered by this commission. So we will be looking at, as discussed in the staff report, things like uh, floor area ratio, building height, uh, um, site, site, uh, side yard setbacks, rear yard setbacks, uh, and um, building impervious building coverage, those kinds of objective issues that are, are in our code, we will be taking into account under, for this project. Uh, with that, um, if you want to raise your hand, uh, Director Phipps will call on you from the audience, and you can also raise your hand in the Zoom application. And I'd just like to state that I have not received any speaker cards from uh, members of the chamber this evening. If you have one, please bring it forward. And please step to the dais. Thank you. Hello, and thank you, Planning Commissioners. Uh, thank you for listening to me today. Uh, I'm a neighbor. My name is Jeff Stafford. I am at 514 South Street, for the record, uh, which is uphill and adjacent to the site in this proposal. Uh, I'm supportive of a responsible development on this site, always have been, and also acknowledge that the new state laws streamlining certain housing projects are critical uh, in addressing the housing crisis. However, the cornerstones of these laws, uh, particularly SB 35, uh, is conformance with local zoning code and the general plan. Uh, when projects are designed to fit objective design development standards, streamlining their review makes sense. Uh, this project, however, does not meet the spirit or intent of SB 35. Um, the lengthy list of deviations from code is exactly why this project should not and cannot be exempt from review. This includes the FAR, uh, building coverage, impervious surfaces, site and rear uh, setbacks, building height, the effect of these deviations are compounded uh, by the project's steep site uh, and location that is dangerous and difficult to access. This simply is not the type of site or project that the new laws were designed to address. Um, this is not a free pass to ignore longstanding codes and regulations of Sausalito. So while, while I would welcome a thoughtfully designed home on this property, and two, as of right, and ADU, I cannot support this proposal because it simply strays too far from the rules and objectively does not meet the criteria for utilizing SB 35. I would encourage the commission to follow the staff's thoughtful and well-researched recommendation um, that this version of the project be denied. Thank you. Thank you very much yeah. for your comment. Looking back to the chamber for interested speakers. Seeing one raised hand, uh, I do not have a speaker card. Uh, please submit it to us. Thank you. And sir, please approach the dais. You'll have three minutes to speak. Hi, good evening. Uh, my name is Aditya Padala. I live on 518 South Street for the last 30 years. We're almost directly above the, the property that's being discussed. Uh, and before we came here, we came, my wife and I came from New York, and all we cared about is uh, safety in earthquakes and safety against erosion. And we looked at we looked at 200 homes in Sausalito before we bought our property. And we lived in Sausalito uh, for two years looking at those 200 homes. 
And one of the things we did is look up above our home and we, we are in, on the round, I'm not describing this well, but we, we are below a, a round part, not the valley where things go down. And so we've, when things rain like crazy, we feel very safe. We've also, one of the early, only homes there who we bought it 30 years ago that have done structural improvements and earthquake retrofitting to make our home stable. I used to joke with the neighbor of Jeff who spoke before me that prior to our uh, solidification of our home, I felt that if an earthquake came, we would come down on Lou's house in pieces. Now I tell him that I'm fairly confident he's no longer there, but we'd come down in one solid unit uh, because we're very structured. The point that worries me the most about what I've seen about this process is what it will do to the whole hill above it. And I think it's very, very complicated. And, and the kind of, obviously we want more homes to be built. We want more uh, affordable homes to be built. We're fully supportive of that. But nothing in the plans that we've seen makes it seem that it's safe for us that live above it. And I want my address to remain on that and not Sausalito Boulevard below. Thank you. Thank you for your comments, sir. Looking back to the chamber. If you haven't submitted a speaker card, please submit it now. Then yes, sir, please approach the dais. You'll have three minutes. Hi, my name is Hunter Hancock. Uh, Colleen and I live at 244 Sausalito Boulevard. We're one of the two houses, along with Chris Fong, who are directly below the site. Um, we have Aditya's concerns, but the other direction. Um, we've tried to engage Chris during this process uh, earlier on. Our real concerns, of course, are structural, right? The, the idea that the driveway is inevitable it is not obvious to us putting a driveway there means because this because the site is so steep that it has to go all the way across the width of it and that would cause quite a large retaining wall and there's really nothing in in hurricane gulch that looks like that possibly 37 39 crescent um and so we mentioned that to chris sullivan when, when we first met him and uh you know, we, we are supportive of there being a house there, but we want it to be safe. We don't want it to to fill the lot entirely. We appreciate the the floor area ratio standards. Um, and we are uh, wary of that hill. Uh, if, you, if you've looked at that rope ladder that they have, just human transit up and down that thing has, has caused a tremendous amount of erosion. And uh, Mr. Sullivan has told us that the hill that he has this uh, report that the hill is extraordinarily stable, but that's really not been our experience living there for 24 years. The rains bring stuff down. Any amount of contact brings stuff down. And, uh, you know, it's a really steep hill. Um, thank you. Thank you for your comment. And I'll just ask again, uh, members of the audience who wish to speak, who have not spoken, and who have not submitted a speaker card, please submit it now. Thank you. You'll Hi, have three minutes to speak. Hi, everyone. I'm Chris Fong. I live at 200 Sausalito Boulevard, which is uh, right next door to Hunter, uh, who just spoke before me. 
And I just wanted to say, um, you know, I support and echo everything that has been said be uh, before me. Um, you know, I think we're, uh, Mr. Sullivan has the right to build a house for sure. And we're trying to work with him on something that, you know, will fit within the boundaries of the law. Um, and also, uh, you know, keep our houses, um, I guess, just, just as, as in great shape as they are. Um, so I just say, I, I, lastly, I just say I agree with the city planning staff's conclusion. Uh, and yeah, thanks for listening to me. Thank you for your comment. Okay, seeing no additional speakers in the chamber, I will look to the Zoom application. I currently see one raised hand, and that is the hand of Sandra Bushmaker. Miss Bushmaker, welcome. You will have three minutes to speak. Thank you. Good evening, uh, commissioners. I was going to say council persons because that's usually where I'm speaking at council meetings. C good evening, commissioners. I'm a neighbor of the applicants. I am further up the street from the prior two speakers, uh, but I'm on the same side of the street as the applicant up Sausalito Boulevard in the three, low 300s of Sausalito Boulevard. Uh, I, I am concerned about safety issues. Now, that raises the point in my mind whether safety issues can be considered an objective standard or not. Uh, I don't know that we have time or ability to debate that tonight, but I think that there needs to be some consideration for safety issues, uh, particularly for the driveway that is being proposed coming down onto Sausalito Boulevard. I walk there all the time, every day. I walk up and down in front of this parcel, and, and I have seen the debris from that chain ladder uh, in Sausalito Boulevard. In fact, I have called Public Works several times myself to have it cleaned up. Uh, I, I do not object to the uh, applicant's ability to build on that lot. It just happens to be a very challenging one. And I would like to be able to see that there is some way that safety uh, uh, for pedestrians, cars and bicyclists down onto Sausalito Boulevard can be taken into consideration. Uh, and with that, I would just like to support the uh, uh, compliance by the applicant with the objective standards that have been dis disclosed in our uh, statutes or ordinances. All right, thank you. Thank you, Ms. Bushmaker. Looking back to the Zoom application for raised hands, just a reminder, if you're calling in from a phone, please press star nine to raise your hand and I'll give attendees uh, an additional opportunity to raise their hands virtually. Looking to the chamber, If you're on Zoom and you would like to speak, um, we generally require that you raise your hand. I'm not seeing a, oh, S, could it be an SW? So we, we are enthusiastic about allowing folks the opportunity to provide public comment at meetings, but we do have procedures in place um, for virtual public comment. If you're unable to raise your hand um, and in the absence of uh, a specific name as to who'd like to speak, I think that um, we're going to have to move on. But I, I appreciate uh, the public's uh, interest. Chair, back to you. Uh, with that, I'm going to close the public hearing and bring it back up to the dais.
so this evening, uh, this is different than our normal processes because it's a SB 35 project. Uh, I want concurrence from City Attorney Branham. Uh, uh, we are providing oversight pursuant to SB 35 of the Community Development Department's um, recommendation and um, evaluation. Uh, our decision this evening is would not be appealable to the city council. Is that correct? That's correct, Chair. So uh, the Planning Commission tonight, pursuant to statute SB 35, or because it's now been amended by SB 423, um, you know, we'll just call it Government Code Section 6591.3.4, um, removed the ability of the City Council to conduct any public oversight of a project uh, that was applied for pursuant to that statute. It does not though, it expressly continues to allow the planning commission to conduct design review, which is what we're here for uh, in accordance with objective standards as you've identified. Okay, thank you. And so that's a little different than our normal process. I just wanted all the, all the commissioners to be fully aware of that. And, and, and Chair, if I may, I just want to make, uh, for, for the record, once again, that uh, commissioners ought to keep in mind this evening that public comments that do not address this project's compliance with the city's objective design standards can't be considered by the commission in its treatment of the pending application. So just want to make sure that we're abundantly clear on that. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Director Phipps. Uh, with that, I'll turn the commissioners on uh, where they want to be on this. I just, Commissioner Fellow. I, I just want to make a quick note into the record, if I may. Um, uh, Miss Cray, who maybe could not uh, raise her hand on Zoom, did issue a public comment in writing. So I just want to make that note onto the record. Thank you, Commissioner Fellow. Uh, if, if, if there's not further discussion, I'll be looking for a motion on this. Uh, anybody want to make a motion? Um, I'll make a motion to deny this project. I'm looking for a second. Second. If I may make a, just a suggestion, my apologies. Um, if, if we could add for the benefit of the record that the denial is based on non-compliance with the city's objective standards, that, that would be good. Thank you. I'll make the motion to deny um, project 2023-00026 based on non-compliance with the objective design standards. Uh, Doug, uh, City Attorney, do you want us to illum illuminate which uh, all of the various uh, statements? Yeah, uh, City Attorney, is there not a rebuttal uh, right uh, to comment? Uh, public comment and your uh, I'm not making public comments. I'm the applicant. You I were given to go through 30 years of code. You're, you're the Sir, you were given warning that you could reserve time for rebuttal. The chair made you aware at three and a half minutes that you could reserve that time and you elected not to. Okay. So I cannot say anything about my home. Yes, no, please. please I cannot. Please. No, you cannot. Even though the things discussed were inaccurate just now. To your seat. So we're in deliberations and motions. You okay. need to return to your seat. Thank, thank you thank for, you. for coming. But you, yes, we allow, I you're give welcome. you an opportunity for to save rebuttal time you decided not to so uh thank you if you could please six years work and then 15 minutes so as we're in deliberations here i'm going to continue with uh, your revised motion vice chair Saad, and i'll just read into the record that the basis of our recommendation for denial uh is that expressed at, um, by our uh, uh, associate planner and staff report 
um, in determination of inconsistency with residential zoning district standards and general development regulations, which the floor area ratio is exceeded, the coverage limit is exceeded, the impervious coverage uh, is exceeded, the side setbacks are exceeded, the rear setbacks are exceeded, and the building height is exceeded. So based on those conditions, I will uh, accept your amended motion and, and second that. Uh, thank you, Commissioner Feller. Are there any other amendments to the motion? Is there any other comment? Uh, with none, Director Phipps, please call the roll. Thank you, Chair. Commissioner Feller? Yes. Commissioner Junius? Yes. Vice Chair Saad? Yes. Chair Luxembourg? Yes. Motion passes. And Chair, one more thing, if I may, before we leave this item, uh, just to remind the applicant that this does not prejudice your ability to resubmit your application. Um, you know, please reach out to staff and, and we'll work with you to come into compliance with the standards, but this, this denial tonight does not preclude you from resubmitting your application. Can I ask the audience, please, please, uh, please exercise do, some decorum in our chamber. Thank you. Please. Okay, let's move on. Next item on the agenda is uh, I, item six, item seven A, uh, and this is a we will consider a study session on the proposed draft form, base code, and objective design and development standards this evening. After receiving a staff uh, presentation, we will take public comment, and we will provide. Uh, direction as appropriate. Uh, with that, uh, let uh, this gentleman clear out the presentation materials and, and we'll go on. whatever file we we want to put them in uh, as part of the record. Thank you, Principal Planner Toft. Thank you, Associate Planner Mandish. Okay, thank you, uh, Commissioners. So on, on to the next item. Yep. This is a study session on the proposed draft form-based code and objective design and development standards, which are over and above the standards currently in place. Um, we have both Bob Brown and Principal Planner Neil Toff joining us this evening. Uh, I will give Mr. Brown the floor. Thank you, Director Phipps. Uh, can we pull up the PowerPoint? Yes, give us a moment, please. While that's occurring, I'll also mention that we have uh, Tony Perez from Opticos, who is uh, going to be participating remotely.
Excellent. Thank you. So it's been uh, almost a year uh, since we last discussed our efforts to adopt uh, and update the objective design and development standards for Sausalito, which I'll be abbreviating as, as odds in this presentation. And during that time, we've worked with your staff, uh, with your EIR consultant, and with your city attorneys to adjust the odds to reflect the adopted housing element densities, which we'll be discussing further tonight. I recognize that some of this presentation uh, will be familiar from last year, um, but since it's been a while, I'll, I'll be covering why we're adopting odds, although I think uh, the last item made that pretty clear. Um, what are odds? Uh, what development projects would these odds apply to? Um, how we've gone about preparing the draft odds for Sausalito, and then I'll spend the bulk of the time talking about describing those odds, um, and then we'll talk about next steps, opportunities for the commission to ask questions and members of the public to provide input, um, and then any feedback the planning commission has uh, for staff and uh, onto the city council. Next. So uh, why adopt odds? Um, Obviously, as we've discussed already this evening, there's a number of state laws that seek to limit local discretion as a means of facilitating housing production. And uh, for qualifying projects that are, are uh, new residential and mixed use, um, these decisions in most cases have to be based on adopted objective standards. Next. These state laws are very confusing, uh, even to uh, attorneys and, and practitioners. Um, but to try to put them in three buckets as to how they affect the city's uh, design review and development review functions. Um, the first bucket are projects that only add a, a single new housing unit or involve renovations of existing housing. Uh, those are not subject to these state laws and the city's normal design review functions. Uh, your discretionary approval abilities are all intact for those projects. For projects that add two or more new housing units, um, and which are not uh, affordable and do not meet the state's affordability requirements. Um, the city can do design review. However, you're constrained in terms of not being able to deny or reduce the density of those projects. Um, that gets to be a fairly slippery slope um, because the effect of your projects are largely going to be cosmetic. Uh, it will be very difficult for cities under these provisions to actually reduce the size and scale and volume of buildings because again, that could very easily make the project infeasible. And lastly are projects that do meet the state requirements for affordability and there's some other requirements as well in terms of uh, prevailing construction, labor wages, et cetera. But projects that meet those affordability requirements are then allowed streamlined processing. And that's what we've been talking about earlier this evening. Uh, and in those cases, it's a ministerial process. And uh, if projects comply with all of the adopted uh, odds. Next. And even with wonderfully adopted odds that are fantastic, um, they still, these projects are still subject to the state density bonus law. So applicants have the ability, if they meet affordability requirements, to waive any of the zoning standards, including the, uh, the odds that we're talking about tonight. Next, please. I don't think I need to go over the definition. We just heard that a few minutes ago, so we'll pass this slide. <laughs> so very importantly, how would we design the odds? What projects will they apply to? 
Um, so again, as the HAA, the Housing Accountability Act, uh, defines two or more new dwelling units, um, those would include multifamily projects or supportive transitional housing projects, emergency shelters, or mixed-use projects that qualify with two-thirds of the floor area being residential. Um, it would also apply, as we've written it, to any modifications to projects that were built under the odds code in the future. Um, we would only be applying the odds to properties that you currently have zoned for multifamily and non-residential zoning districts that allow housing. So right now, those would be the R2, R3, CN, CC, and CR districts. It does not apply at all to your single family zoning districts. And that would include SB9 projects in those single family zones. It also does not apply to non-residential projects or to remodeling of projects, including multifamily. Next. So as I said, um, we've had to do a bit of backtracking with the adoption of the new housing element. The housing element has two programs, 16 and 19. They call for preparing odds in response to state laws and also evaluating the height limits um, to make sure that this, this new zoning can accommodate the permitted densities in the housing element. The original odds that we drafted uh, were really based on the building volumes and densities in your existing zoning code. So the adoption of the housing element added the new dimension. We have in the housing element 48 housing opportunity sites that allow densities up to either 49 or 70 units per acre. And so that necessitates uh, additional odd zones that will accommodate these higher unit counts. Next, please. So the way we've gone about preparing the odds, um, so back, we've already heard tonight, back in 2021, the city council adopted interim odds. Those are still in place. Um, the planning commission at that time appointed uh, commissioners Feller and Junius to work with staff to develop uh, uh, augmented odds to replace those interim standards. We've been at this since 2021. The committee subcommittees met 16 times, and I really want to acknowledge the, all the hours that Commissioners Junius and Feller have put into this. Greatly appreciated. Um, and so they've really focused on how to um, customize uh, the odds for Sausalito. They decided that we should utilize um, a Marin County odds toolkit that was developed a uh, consortium of almost all the cities in Marin combined state grant funds and work with the county and hired Opticos to develop what they called a Marin County toolkit. And so we've worked with the subcommittee on, on tailoring that toolkit specifically for Sausalito. And we've had a number of study sessions up to this point, uh, two at the Planning Commission, two Historic Resources Board, uh, and three with the City Council. Uh, so this toolkit um, was really initially based on Opticos' study of uh, housing types in Marin that felt very comfortable and typical of Marin. And they worked back in terms of trying to devise zoning standards that would yield those types of products. Um, they completed this toolkit in 2021, gave it to the various cities, and a number of cities have adopted to date. Others are in process. Corte Madera, Belvedere, San Anselmo, Novato, and Marin County have already adopted versions of this code. Next. So the, the customization that we've done in Sausalito, um, as I said, again, we started comparing the odds and selecting portions of the odds that would be tailored to your existing zoning volumes. 
um, the odds references the existing zoning code in terms of densities and FAR. So those aren't contained in the odds. Those would be consistent with your current general plan and zoning code. Um, and as I said, again, because of the housing element now with additional uh, density for these housing opportunity sites, there's an additional uh, zone that's been created over the past several months that we'll discuss. Next, please. So uh, in terms of the housing opportunity sites, um, Opticos went about analyzing 33 out of the 48 sites. Normally they would do far fewer, but these sites are also individual and unique. Um, they vary a great deal in size. Some are very small, some are you know, the MLK available sites. So, uh, and the topography is quite different. Some of these sites are quite steep. Um, as part of that analysis, um, Opticos actually went and tried to place you know, uh, building footprints and, and parking layouts on these sites to figure out how we could accommodate the units that are prescribed in the housing element for each site. Um, the first assumption that we made though was the unit size, the average unit size that they have used to develop these prototypes is 600 square feet. Um, fairly small, but again, the intent was to try to minimize the volume that these buildings would have to uh, accommodate. And also, frankly, um, a 600 square foot unit is by its nature more affordable by design. And if we're trying to create affordable housing, this works towards that. Um, the analysis that Opticos did found that, again, based on the variety of these sites, uh, you might need anywhere from two to five stories uh, for each site to accommodate the densities prescribed by uh, the general plan for the housing opportunity sites. Next, please. So um, to try to describe the odds, um, let's take a, a kind of a, a step back and try to understand what the purpose is, what the objectives are of the form-based code that, that Opticos creates. Um, the codes try to reduce the scale of buildings by limiting the maximum building sizes. And I'll show a, an example of that in a second. Um, they try to put the parking where it's less visible. Uh, they really pay a lot of attention to the pedestrian uh, orientation of these buildings so that they create a, a really pedestrian-oriented frontage, a very active street frontage. Um, they address development on slopes, making sure the buildings step with the slope. Um, they address privacy impacts when you have adjacent multifamily units across from one another. And they also have screening requirements uh, for various things that we want to keep hidden. Next, please. So Opticos has been sort of uh, developed uh, sort of notoriety in the last several years. Um, their codes address what has been termed now the missing middle housing. So these are housing types uh, and densities that really were sort of prevalent before the Second World War. Um, and they're sort of a transition between the low, very low density single family and projects that are sort of mid or high rise apartments that would say take up a full block. So these are are a scale that sort of is compatible between those two extremes. Next, please. And the Opticos form-based codes try to make sure that these housing types are integrated into the existing neighborhood fabric very well. And as I say, uh, one of the aspects of the code is that it requires that larger sites be broken up into smaller components so you can put multiple building types and it creates a more organic feel to the streetscape and a better uh, transition in scale with the existing. Next, please. 
This is a, an example of a project recently built in my hometown that would not be allowed by an Opticos code. And the reason is that this project really turns its side to the street. The, the units and the garages are all oriented towards a, an interior driveway, and they even put a parking space right next to the sidewalk. Again, this is not what the Opticos code generates. Uh, they have a lot of regulations that relate specifically to how the building should face the street and integrate with the sidewalk. Next. So I think in terms of describing how the odds work, because the form-based code is quite different than the traditional zoning code, I, I'd like to sort of walk you through how a developer or a, an architect would use the code. So first, they would want to figure out what's the maximum building volume that's allowed. So the first thing they would do would be to figure out which uh, odds zone applies to this particular property. Next, please. So in this draft, we have four zones. As I said, the first three are really sort of based on your existing multifamily and uh, mixed-use zones. Um, I would note that the neighborhood small scale, the NS zone, is being applied to the R2 zones, which allows duplex. So we limit the building types that are allowed in that neighborhood small scale to either a single-family home or duplexes. Um, the neighborhood medium scale and the mixed use small scale allow multifamily and then mixed use development in the in the mixed use. And then, as I say, we've uh, added the housing opportunity sites uh, overlay to deal with the new housing element. Next, please. So there will be a parallel zoning map uh, that will be essentially the second page of the city's adopted zoning map. And it will indicate where these odds zones are, are applied to which properties. And here you can see the housing opportunity site overlay are the red sites. These are just the first phase and I'll, I'll describe the difference in, in a moment. Next, please. So what the zones do in each of the, in the Opticos code is, again, they establish the allowable building types you can have, uh, the maximum development size, uh, the site that you can have for each of these building types, the setbacks, uh, the setback encroachments, the height limits, uh, they regulate the percent of the building facade that you have to have on the street so that it's not composed largely of parking areas. Um, it addresses the allowable frontage types. And again, it references the general plan for the densities and FARs. Next. I want to point out two things that are different in this code than the current uh, zoning. We have proposed to reduce the parking requirements somewhat as a means of promoting housing development. So right now, studio one bedroom requires a space and a half, um, and they would be reduced to single space. And then two or more bedroom units um, would be either two spaces or, uh, I mean, sorry, one and a half spaces or one space for the mixed use zone. And we also increased the bike parking. Uh, again, we think it's very important if we're gonna be reducing vehicular parking and particularly for more affordable housing, uh, that bike parking is, is uh, available. So there's a requirement for a secured space per bedroom in each project and uh, a shared guest space uh, per 10 units. Next. And as I mentioned, the three original zones that were developed that are applied to all your multifamily and mixed use zones um, really sort of track the existing zoning in terms of height limits and setbacks, et cetera. So again, the intent is to base those first three zones on your existing zoning uh, building volumes. Next. And the HO sites overlay, uh, again, we have 48 of these sites. 
Um, we are proposing in the first round of, of adoption that we would rezone 30 of these sites uh, with the HO overlay. And those are the sites that are not affected by the Fair Traffic Initiative or Ordinance 1128, since those require a vote of the, of the people to be implemented. So the first phase would just deal with 30 of the sites that aren't so encumbered. And um, I would just note that the HO site, um, because of the higher densities, it limits these uh, to larger building types. Um, so the smaller building types, the cottages, you know, the, the duplexes, um, the smaller building types are not allowed here. And most importantly, it increases the height limit to four stories, up to 40 feet to the highest eave, 40 feet max, 45 feet maximum. And it requires a five foot step back for the fourth floor to try to reduce the visual uh, impact of that fourth floor. Next. So then again, getting back to the designer, once they've figured out their zone and what those regulations are, they would pick one of the building types that are allowed for that zone. Next slide. And there are 11 different building types that are defined and regulated uh, by the odds. And these again are, are pretty typical uh, in Marin. Next. So the building types, they regulate the maximum building dimensions. Uh, they require the, the minimum amount of open space for that building type. And they also define how pedestrians will access the building. Next, please. So again, getting back to the designer, to figure out next the building form and the design, they would select one of the massing compositions that are available for each building type. Next, please. And there are 15 of these massing um, uh, provisions, mass, ma massing con uh, compositions um, that are available total. Um, and again, these are trying to provide some minimum articulation to the building types. Next, please. And then lastly, the developer would select a frontage type. Next. And there are uh, five of these for residential and four of these for uh, mixed use projects. Next. And what the frontage regulations dictate are the, the size and dimensions of the entry element that they're required to have, um, how these might encroach into the setbacks, um, the height uh, above grade or sidewalk. And in the case of the commercial frontages, uh, the minimum amount of glazing and the base level to the window area, et cetera, trying to define, uh, again, how the, the, the building addresses the streetscape. Next. In addition to these uh, basic regulations for each zone uh, and each building type, there are uh, regulations that apply universally to the odds projects that include screening for me mechanical equipment and parking areas, uh, some parking and loading requirements, uh, had to deal with slopes, again, in terms of stepping the buildings, uh, requirements for the public frontage that have to be adopted for the project, and again, privacy standards when you have uh, buildings that face one another in close proximity. Next, please. Um, I want to touch on architectural standards. These are not included in the customized version for Sausalito. Uh, the Marin County Odds Toolkit does contain very, very detailed standards for six different architectural styles. And these are mostly historic styles like Mediterranean, Craftsman, et cetera. But also there's a contemporary style, which is a lot of what you see being built today. And these regulate everything from windows and doors and, and fenestration and 
um, cornices, detailing, materials, colors, uh, they're addressed in the architectural standards. We did not include them because the Historic Resources Commission felt strongly that they were too prescriptive and would result in a sort of faux historic buildings, kind of a, a Disney-esque version of historic buildings. Uh, and the, the subcommittee, uh, odd subcommittee members agreed with that. So they're not included. But I just want to point out that lacking these, what the odds will do is they'll regulate the building placement and form, but they won't regulate the facade design. So that's gonna be left up to the architect. Next, please. We also have regulations for larger sites. You do not have many of these. Maybe the MLK site, I imagine, would be the only one that I'm aware of. So these are for sites that are over three acres. And what they try to do is break up a large site into individual blocks, uh, make sure that there's pedestrian pathways through those, um, require a certain amount of civic space and, how, and have design criteria for those civic spaces um, and other things like stormwater management standards. Next. There's a chapter on administration, which essentially just refers back to the the permit procedures in your zoning code doesn't establish anything new. Next. And there's a whole chapter on definitions. There's 124 defined terms in the odds. Some of these are pretty unique. So they are all have individual definitions. And there's a section that's really good on measurement methods. And, and the last applicant was asking a lot of questions about how you measure things. These are well-defined in the odds, which I think will serve you well in the future. Next. Okay, I'm sorry that we covered a lot of material there, but what's coming up next, we intend to go to the city council with a similar study session. Um, the EIR, final EIR is being completed for implementing numerous housing element programs, including adoption of the odds. Um, we would propose to um, then include these in a larger batch of municipal code amendments to the code um, and amending the zoning map and creating the new odds zone map as well. Again, in phase one for the, the sites that don't require uh, a public vote. Um, then the planning commission will hold a hearing uh, on adoption of these uh, initial phase one uh, ordinances. Council will have a public hearing. And then in the fall, the intent is uh, after a, uh, a public vote to uh, implement the second phase of the map changes. And I think that that is it. There was a lot to cover and I'm happy to answer any questions and detailed questions about the odds themselves. I'll pass along to Tony Perez, who's here remotely. Uh, thank you, Mr. Brown. Uh, that was a very thorough uh, presentation and I know you folks have spent a lot of time on this and uh, we appreciate that. And we know it's extremely complicated. I'm gonna start off here. I, I think two members of our commission here have served on the working group, so they're very familiar. And two, the other two members have also, uh, uh, Vice Chair Saad and Commissioner Fellow served on the Housing Element Committee, so they're very familiar with that piece of it. I was not fortunate enough to serve on either of those, so I'm going to have some very technical questions, and I brought some of these to Director Phipps, and he said bring them up tonight. So, uh, Commissioners, bear with me, because I'm gonna get into the weeds on some, on some of these issues, because I was not part of the process to date. But I, I under, fully understand the need to do this. I fully understand the concept of form-based zoning. And, but I want to get into some of the technicalities of what we're really doing, because there's some definitional stuff that I want to start with. So I'm going to ask a series of questions, and I'll open it up to other members. Um, 
so I want to understand the mechanics. On, on the second to last slide, you talked about uh, a zoning change in MAP. But let's assume for the sake of discussion what you have before you, for us this evening, is what you want to get approved. And so the, what I understand, I, I think it's attachment to, is a MAP, which would be included in that package when we get there, and we, we would be approving that. Yes. And in that map, for example, uh, there, are, there are four zones, NS, MM, MM, MUS, and HOS. And as you said, some of the uh, items that you would want to make HOS at this time, because of, uh, of the requirement of the ballot initiative, you're not going to put them in at this time. However, for example, uh, 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 site 201, which is on Bridgeway in, uh, in the housing element, uh, approved housing element, is included in this map in the MUS. So when you adopt this, until you adopt the other, the, 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 the odds for that site will apply uh, for you know, uh, generally, for, uh, put aside if there's an application on board. I don't want to get into the weeds of that. But we are rezoning that site to MUS now and eventually would rezone it to HOS, for example. Correct. But So we are basically rezoning all of the commercial areas of the city to MUS. Yes. We're basically uh, rezoning all of the R2 stuff to the NS and all the R3 stuff to NM. And, the and then some of the housing sites will be HOS, but other of the housing sites will be one of those other things. And that will be the density until we do, until we, we get through this ballot initiative. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So I, I want to make sure I understood that, which I now do. Um, so um, there is an, uh, um, there's an attachment three. Can we go to, uh, can we bring up attachment three out of the, um, um, out of the uh, agenda, I guess, which is the, your chart. Yes, we can. With a, with a, um, okay, so you have some color coding in the right columns and then you explain why uh, the ones that are four and five is that they're just because they're, is there anything other than that one color is four and the other color is five? No, it's just trying to differentiate, uh, again, based on Opticos's, uh evaluation of 33 of these sites, how many stories would it take uh, to get the, the prescribed number of units? And then we've simply highlighted in green the ones that are the the H uh, are the H seventy that seventy units per acre sites. What we really tried to find was was there an, an obvious break between the forty nine unit per acre sites and the seventy unit per acre sites? For example, did the seventy acre unit per acre sites require four and five stories, and the forty nine units require two to three stories? And no, <laughs> I can't, I can't say that we did find any consistency there. So again, I'm just trying to highlight uh, the the sites that, for various reasons, for the slope or the size of it, whatever. Uh, triggered higher heights being necessary. And I would point out that we also find that the ones that are highlighted in red, the five, uh, are typically uh, individual parcels that are adjacent under the same ownership 
to other parcels, there's a number of situations in the housing element where that exists. So we think in those situations, those sites, the applicant has the ability to combine them to create a larger site and could probably uh, develop within a four story. So we don't think it's necessary to go to five story for these sites. Okay, so the way I understood it is the limit and the height for uh, HOS is four stories, 45 feet. The limit for MU might actually be, there's another one that has a 40, 40 foot limit. No, uh, the other three zones go up to uh, 32 feet, the current city height limit. Okay, so except if they have affordable housing. Except if it's, an, if, if it's one of the housing opportunity overlay sites with the higher densities. Um, okay, but that, uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna go down to the weeds on that in a minute because I think that that's not correct okay. in what I saw. So that might need to be fixed. Okay. So, um, uh, okay, so the, what you're recommending is no more than four stories where you think it needs five stories, you think it can be spread out with additional sites or even on the same site sometimes you can move it closer to the street or whatever. If the and sites are merged, it gives more flexibility. So the limit of height in all cases is is four, or four stories, regardless of whether it's HOS or, 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 or we, that's the limit. Uh, For the HOS, we'll, we'll yes. Go to, we'll go to the, some others and other things in a minute. Okay, so, um, is Tony able, Tony, are you able to bring up the uh, 10A, any page in 10A, if we share screen with you? Um, I don't know what you're referring to. Um, uh, 10A is is what uh, what's being recommended for the adoption, and it includes all of the uh, uh, objective design and development standards. He's asking yeah, if you can bring- page document. If you can bring up the draft. 100 pages, yeah. the draft. Sure. Yeah. Who does that? Tony, Tony, I'm able to do that. Oh, excuse me, Commissioner. What's it? Sorry. Sorry for interrupting. I, I was just uh, communicating to Mr. Perez and team that I'm able to share the draft odds. Sure. Thank you. Just while that's coming up, I just wanted to ask a follow up on that five story because I saw the note in the staff report as well that if there is an adjacent lot, but there's no, that's not, that's not a requirement that we can make by any means right so it's just a suggestion is that going to be accounted for in writing um no again we, we feel that in those cases the owner of that lot has some flexibility where they could develop four stories if they so choose um, rather than just uniformly create a five-story limit for those sites sure but they do have the ability to create that five-story if they don't wish to combine their adjacent lot that's what i was just not following I no think. we would we the proposal is to limit this to four that's stories a four story limit and then frankly as you know um you know if if the applicant is qualifying for the state density bonus sure. law they can get the extra story or whatever through a waiver i see okay thank you thank you uh, uh, just to reiterate so the limit would be four stories and the only way it goes above that is with some exemption yes all right so uh i'm gonna uh Brandon, uh, Decker Phipps, I'm looking for page 26 of the report, not necessarily page 26 of the, of the attachment. So on the bottom of the report, you'll see page numbers. So let, let me prelude my comments here. We have an issue on a project previously with a 40 foot, we have a 40 foot requirement, for a 40 foot wall limit. And then there's provisions in our zoning that how you measure that 
and it's caused problems on previous projects because it's a little bit ambiguous. So uh, it, it, there's, a, there's a provision in our co code that says you can't have a wall that exceeds 40 feet, uh, and if it does, you have to set it back further from the, from the line. So in, in that, there's another provision that's a little bit uh, uh, confusing with regard to that. So uh, I'm only raising that here was we have, and I agree that we need to do this and all that. We have 80 pages of lots of numbers, and if those numbers conflict with another number somewhere, somebody comes in and argues that, no, no, this is conflicting, and therefore you can't approve it kind of thing. And, and so I'm raising that as I go through some of these numbers. So, Chair, uh, yes. just for clarification, I think what you're referring to is the depth like it's a it's a horizontal, not a vertical yeah, height, a but, but a depth. Depth. It's a horizontal length of a wall, which requires a additional setback if it goes over forty feet in length. A building wall, uh, not building. a retaining wall. Yeah, building wall. Building wall. And and I'm only raising this because it doesn't have to do with heights or anything. It has to do with the idea that you put one thing in one part of the code, another thing in another part of the code, and they're and they're conflicting. So. And, and bear with me, because these are technical, and I reviewed this a week ago, and so and my notes are in detail, but I want to uh, go through this. And this is maybe an example or maybe the only place it happens. But on page 26, this is the MUS site, and I'm having trouble reading my notes and reading the wall because they're different. There's a footnote. So the maximum height can be 32 feet. And the maximum, the maximum height to the eave parapet can be 32 feet, code C. And, the, and there is a footnote here, and this is MUS and not a housing opportunity site, that says for qualified affordable housing projects, a 40-foot maximum within the 40 feet from the front development site. So that's on the screen. And, and I know this is in the weeds, but it's, it's, it goes to this issue that I'm raising. So um, unlike the, the, M, NL, M, the NS and the NM, where there are sloped roofs, the MUS has a flat roof. If we scroll so we can see the diagram for a second here, you're going to see there's a C, and C is less than D in this diagram. But when you go down to the chart below, C and D are exactly the same height. And then when you go to the footnote, it says D can be higher, but it doesn't say C can be higher. So either C needs a footnote, or in, 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 in the NU and the NM, there are sloped roofs. And, and, and it reverses because the peak of the roof is higher and the parapet thing is lower. So I guess I'm trying to understand what this is, but if we had this, somebody will come in and argue, no, 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 you can't go to that maximum height. And so, uh, I, you know, so yes, so that I'm, I just wanted to lay out what the issue. So Tony, either Tony or, or Bob, can you enlighten uh, me whether we need an additional footnote for item C there or what's going on? I'll pass this one to Tony. So, so yeah, thanks for the question. The first of all, the 40 foot um, height allowance is just that it's an allowance for an affordable housing project. So if you have an affordable housing project, the assumption is that you're going to be um, getting, getting other um, 
exemptions like you would in the, in the HOS overlay zone. And so in this case, we just uh, saw that there might be sites where this would need to happen. And so we gave that flexibility. If that's incorrect, then that flexibility should be removed. But that's what it's intended to do. The, the C and D, if you could scroll the page to show the diagram again, the, it's just showing the maximum that both of those can be. It doesn't mean that you would design it that way because it, you, you, you can't have them both at the same height. It's just telling you the maximum that they can be. If, if the city would prefer to have that more spelled out to exactly what it is, and, uh, then we, we can figure out those numbers and do that. This is simply just telling the designer, you know, if D is 32, then yeah, C is allowed to be 32, but it can't be. It has to be less to have a parapet extending like that. And then if I could draw on your screen, um, oh, I can't. The, the parapet and flat roof are shown here, not necessarily as, an, as the, uh, the only way to do this, but it's just assumed that uh, people are going to use the maximum height and not want to put a pitched roof in there. But if you wanted to have a pitched roof uh, showing, there's, there's, a, there's a standard that we could apply called the sloped roof parapet that you, you've seen it on older buildings where it looks like it's a pitched roof, but if you go up on top of the roof, it's only sloped for as far as the eye can see, and then it turns into a parapet. So you could require something like, something like that on buildings that have a flat roof. Yeah, I mean, if you go, um, uh, the direct visit, you go back a couple pages. Uh, Do you know which page? Uh, no, but if you just scroll back, it, it's gonna be this diagram for with a sloped roof, yeah. Um, it's, there we go. 22. So this one here, uh, that, this one Thank here, you. C is below D and C is 32 and D is 40. So that makes sense to me. But again, I'm a, I, I know this is minutia, but we get, it's amazing what we get when somebody comes in, when they want to fight a project and they say, no, no, that you said absolutely maximum. And this is, this, this exceeds that you, you can't have that do that. So I'm just, I'm flagging this and I'm asking you one to go look at this and see if this should be clarified and fixed uh, before we go for as you go further. And also think, uh, please recheck all your notes and all your items uh, to make sure that we don't have these inconsistencies. Uh, I, 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 there was one earlier in the last time we had this, the side yard was different than the front yard. That got fixed, I think it got changed. So it's fine. I'm just, I'm just flagging these things because you know, I, I, I'm using 201 as an example because um, without an, an actual project, it is really hard to understand this. You have to take an actual project and right. see what it does to it. And so, uh, you know, I, I was just using it as an example. Here, this, anyway. is a, this is a different example because this overall height is 40 max, where, whereas C is 32. So you're you're not comparing the the same designation. No, uh, no, but I'm excuse. comparing I'm comparing the yeah. use of the code. Well, I, I think what Tony described I think explained uh, the issue with the parapet. Like it, it it's up to the architect, and one of the things we were striving for is not to be very specific about the design to allow architects their creativity and flexibility, but but use the formulas. Uh, to to allow them, you know, to give them the parameters of what what they could actually design in, and that's why these two are are different. So I think Tony explained it well, and 
Thank you, Bob, again, for, but, for also explaining that. But I, I think the other one should have the footnote on both of them. I mean, I, I think we'll look that at that's, that. that's what I, you know, that's what I'm saying. We'll look at that. Very bad. Thank you. Anyways, uh, 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 I think you've explained how this is going to be implemented. Uh, I, I want to flag that we are going to rezone uh, housing opportunity sites that are not, uh, that, uh, that, uh, unless they were single family sites, we are rezoning them all regardless of whether they're going to HOS or not. We're gonna rezone them once and then we're gonna rezone them again. And that's the way I'm understanding Two phases, this. yes. So, uh, and that's, I'm okay with that. I just wanna make sure that that was clear. With that, I will turn it over to others for questions. Um, uh, Commissioner uh, Junior. Thank you, Chair. Um, just a couple more general questions. <laughs> um, I, I'm still, there are two areas here that I, I still kind of concern me and, and I just don't, can't get my head around it. Um, irregularly shaped lots. Now, if I went to the definition section and I didn't go there yet, I apologize, but are there clear instructions as to what you do with a lot that's a rhombus or a skinny in the front and wide in the back? I mean, setback, you know, every, every picture we see in the base is, is it looks like it's right at a Sim City. It's a nice square block and, and it's a nice square corner. We don't have a lot of those in Sausalito. We've got a lot of odd-shaped lots, and even if they look kind of square, they're really not when you look at the survey. And um, just wondering how we're supposed to deal with that going forward, and, and where the odds come in there. Response, Tony. Yeah. So in those, I was just checking in the in the back and the definitions, and typically we include a a diagram and a method for how to apply the setbacks and how to determine the front and side and rear of, a, of an irregularly shaped lot. In this code, that isn't here. Uh, so my assumption is that we are relying on the way it's currently defined in your um, zoning code. If, it, well, if do, we, do we have a, a, a provision to do that? To, to, to con I'm not certain, but I'll go back <laughs> and check. Right. That was got to be somewhere. So let's you're make right. sure that. And that you're right that that is, it, yeah, for unusually oh. shaped lots, that is a constant struggle for staff defining what's the front, what's not, what's the rear. Yeah, exactly. So we'll look we'll that, that compared if, to your current code. If the current method in your zoning code is not sufficient or you want to see options, we have we have content that we can add to this to, to deal with that. Great. Good question. I know you guys will solve that. Thank you. And then another super high generalized question. So how does this work with additions? I'm still confused about this. This again really seems perfectly adequate to build cities in the big flat areas of the Central Valley where we can just lay out streets and lay out nice square lots and pick all this stuff. But in a city like Sausalito, where we're going to have you know a lot less new construction than we are additions and changes, right. I, please clarify that. If it's an addition that doesn't add two new housing units, then it's your current design review process, your current zoning, uh, no change. Um, if it is an addition that adds two units to an existing building, it will have to meet the odds. And so, yes, you could get into some unusual situations there. Um, again, those that may be where you know waivers come in for on the part of the applicant. Um, you know, I, I in the original version and in the Opticos. Uh, in the toolkit has uh, an adjustment process for unusual situations. Um, it, it's sort of variance-like in the findings. And, and frankly, uh, while we tried, while I think Opticos tried to make it objective, uh, I know your city attorney had real concerns that it still smelled and quacked like a, 
a uh, a variance, which of course isn't allowed because that's a a, a discretionary approval and subjective finding. So, um, yeah, again, you could get into some unusual challenges when you have additions to existing buildings. Um, we had a situation I plan checked in Sausalito where you had a, a sort of a 60s office building that was set far back from the street and it was being converted to housing. So there were two or more new housing units. And that project had a very hard, would have had a very hard time meeting the odds because the building was set so far back from the street, it, it really avoided all the the, uh, the streetscape requirements. So I don't know if Tony, you have anything to add to the challenge with additions to existing. Yeah, like in the in the case you just described, Bob, what um, what we have done in some rare cases is provide content um, for determining substantial compliance. So you know buildings that just can't comply, but they're they're adding and the addition is fine. Uh, you can have findings uh, that that are met that that basically um, uh, demonstrate substantial compliance with the standard. And again, determining substantial compliance could very quickly, as you know, devolve into very subjective findings. So that's 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 the tough one. Okay, great. And then the final one, um, at the very beginning, Bob, your your slides talked about the buckets of you know what applies and what to, which is a great analogy and very helpful for the most part. But I I still think you know are are we going to get into situations where um, the number of units, for example, the number of ADUs that might be possible on a larger lot in an R one district is going to be protected by the Housing Accountability Act and will trigger objective standards. You, you had a slide up there that basically said it could. Like, it, it, it doesn't apply. In, does not apply in single family right. zones. And, and we are not creating odds for single family zone sites that might contain a new home and a new ADU right. or might be an SB9 application. Uh, those would rely on your existing objective standards in your zoning code and you also have adopted some SB9 standards, so those would apply, but these odds will, are not intended to apply in those situations. Great, thank you. Those are my questions, thanks. Uh, thank you, uh, Commissioner Junius, uh, Vice Chair Stars. Um, thank you, and I'm sorry, excuse me, you guys, um, from the coughing. Um, I had, can we go back to um, the reduced parking? You had it on one of your slides. And can you just elaborate? Was that is that a re recommendation then from Opticos? Is that new? That's from Opticos, myself, and in our work with staff. Uh, so yes, that is the proposal. Um, I'd also note, as as came up earlier, um, you know there are state laws too that that in some cases exempt parking entirely if you're within a half mile of say your your ferry terminal, et cetera. So. You know, again, parking is becoming a, a bit of a slippery slope. But yes, the intent, the suggestion in the draft is to slightly reduce for multifamily um, and mixed-use projects the residential component of the parking. I see. And and is this then our time to have that as a discussion point? I mean, I don't know if that's something then... After the public hearing, uh, yes. Yes, okay, great. Um, thank you. I just wanted to understand that. And then there was something actually that was quite specific Um can I have a clarification? What do you mean after the public hearing? I assume you're taking public testimony tonight? Uh, oh, this evening. Public comment, this yes. evening. I thought you meant the, the, the hearing. Uh, we're taking public comment. We're not doing a hearing this evening. So I no. thought you were implying the public hearing we're having. We should have this conversation today. Not no, sorry. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and 
And thank you for clarifying the five stories. I was unclear about that. And then in terms of um, streaks, there was something listed about a street can be adjusted up to 100 feet in either direction. Um, I think this was on page 116, if I have my notes correct. I just, I don't, I don't think I understood that even in concept. Um, I think this is referring to the large site regulations. I believe so. So that's, and as Excuse me, Vice Chair, if I may. Are you referring to page 116 in the draft odds themselves? Yes, okay. I am. Thank yes. you. I will, I will go there. I can yes, that. in the draft odds, page 116. I, I can respond to that, Commissioner. I just am not, not following that logic that a street. Sure. So, so that one, you're. I think you're talking about um, on page 116, item uh, uh, 3B, uh, required streets if indicated on the Sausalito zoning map. So sometimes we've seen cities have from a policy level in their comprehensive plan, some future connection of a street. And so this is just, if that happens and you show that anywhere in a comprehensive plan map or on your zoning map, that then that location is, is shiftable up to hundred feet. If you show that anywhere on your map. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't understand I'm that. So sorry, I don't hear you terribly well. Is can we get you just a little closer to the mic? Oh, sorry. Also, turn the sound up oh, in house. We can do that Thank as well. You. So, I item three B. Yes. It's required if indicated on Sausalito zoning map, and this is just in case you have some policy level uh, intention to connect one street with another with a street that doesn't exist there yet through a big property, and and you want to do that, you want to show it on the comprehensive plan or on the zoning map, this is saying, as it's shown there on those maps, its location is shiftable by, in this case, up to 100 feet in either direction. I see. This is probably a lot more applicable to towns that have a lot was, of future development and vacant fields and right. you're extending streets through and have a, a specific plan that might say where future streets are going. I'm not sure how applicable it is oh, to Sausalito. That was, I think, right. Okay, well, I understand that now. Thank you. Thank you for the explanation. Vice Chair, Saad, I think that the only sites that could potentially be applicable here is down in MLK or mm -hmm. potentially in the Marin Ship. Those are the larger sites. Right. Um, uh, and I, I don't know that that would apply elsewhere. I, I would agree with that. Thank you. Um, Let me have a follow-on question real quick. It, what about streets that aren't really don't really exist? I mean, they're either stairways or they're on uh, underwater. Does this affect those? And we have a lot of street. All of our zoning maps have streets that are underwater. They have a lot of streets underwater and a lot of streets that don't actually exist in reality. Uh, but they they were mapped at some points, and so our zoning map has those. Uh, but then when you go out in the real, real world, they're not there. Does this section apply to that at all, or this only applies to open fields kind of thing? Well, the, the intent is for open fields and for new sites like MLK. It's not for, it's it's required streets. That's the oper operative part of this. Um, the more that the more that you all talk, um, you know, that, that it just seems like 3B isn't necessary here. More, I can say that again where you were a little muffled. Sorry, I, I'm trying to speak as close as I can to my microphone. 
if the more that you were all talking about this, it seems like 3B is not necessary. We thought it might be from a policy level in your new general plan that there might be a street that this might apply to, but evidently not. Okay, well, I would encourage you if there are things that you don't think will apply, when in doubt, take it out. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Uh, Commissioner Saad, continue with your questions. Thank you. And my last question, I'm not even terribly sure how to articulate this, but if there was no housing opportunity overlay created, what would be an alternative? Just wondering if we need more of these overlays. Well, we have to articulate uh, which of the sites are allowed to go up to 49 or 70 units per acre. And, and the housing element does that on a site-specific basis. So I don't think we want to you know, try to rezone large swaths of the city to those kinds of densities because the housing element was pretty surgical right. in identifying those sites. So this is one means of allowing those sites higher density, but the sites around it keeping at your current densities. Okay. And so just to clarify then, all the housing opportunity overlay sites are for all of the, only the housing opportunity sites listed in the exactly. element. Okay. Currently 48. Okay. Can I ask a follow-up to Please. that? Yeah. So once those are rezoned, we can retire the overlay because yeah. it would basically be redundant. Is that correct? No. Um, you will have both overlays on your zoning map mm -hmm. and in the odds map. The zoning map is going to have, I think, four overlays because it will identify sites that allow housing only at 49 units an acre, housing only at 70 units an acre, mixed use at 49 units per acre and mixed use at 70. So there'll be four of those on your zoning map. The odds treats them all the same yeah. in terms of regulations. But no, um, until you change your, your housing element in the future and say those sites are no longer needed, um, they'll have to remain as an overlay. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Uh, other questions? That's all, thank you. Uh, Vice Chair Saad. Uh, no, I know. Uh, Commissioner, Commissioner Feller, I was going to you. Out. Well, I wasn't. I was. I'm going. I'm going left. I'm going I'm, left I'm, to right. I'm kidding. Sometimes I'm I kidding. go commissioner, vice chair, whatever. Sometimes I go left to right. So first of all, I I really, Bob, want to thank you and Tony and the Opticos team for uh, all all the work. Um, uh, Commissioner Junius and I, um, I well, at least I am in awe of a lot of the work that you've done, and it's it it was hard to follow many times. So thank you for, for always being the North Star and keeping us in line. So thank you for that. Um, I want to go back to something that I think is really important to talk about uh, and something we struggled mightily with, probably the biggest struggle we had, and that is view pre uh, preservation um, and how to make that objective, which I think is close to impossible. Um, but we came up with some ideas on how to get closer to it and I wanted you to maybe talk through those a little bit, you know, in that whole process, because I don't want to, I'm not sure that I'm prepared to completely leave behind um, some guardrails around that within the objective realm. So could you address that? Sure. Um, well, first, I think with working with the, the subcommittee, we looked nationally to see if there were any communities that have, have cracked this nut how to make view preservation criteria that are objective. Couldn't find anything. So we're, we're on fresh ground here. Um, and when you have to realize you, you need to, to define a lot of things in, in trying to create view preservation, which is um, how many, let's say it was subject property, 
that is a proposal, how many properties around it are, are entitled to preservation of views? Is it a certain distance? How far? It could go you know, for miles, uh, theoretically, if somebody sees something. Um, where are the vantage points for measuring that view? You have to define where on the property, adjacent surrounding properties, you would take that, that, that image and measurement. You have to define what specific items, uh, you know, distant uh, objects you're preserving views of. Um, and then you have to, the most difficult thing is trying to define what's an impact, what's an unacceptable impact. So is it a percentage of view blockage when you define whatever this viewscape is? Um, so all those things are very difficult. It, it's possible to do that. Um, but what's even further complicating is when you're dealing with these new state laws that have a very limited time frame for determining compliance, sometimes only 30 days, um, you know, it makes it really difficult to, to analyze a view uh, analysis that an applicant submits for, for accuracy. And then, of course, you've got dealing with the adjacent property owners. And um, you know their ability to have input into this in terms of at least at, at a minimum the accuracy of this this view analysis, and so for those reasons, um, the city attorney strongly advised that um, you know this just really wasn't quite ripe. Um, we also discussed doing view preservation not from private property vantage points but from public vantage points. So, for example, from parks or from uh, all the stairs, the public stairs that you have. So that's a little more limiting. And because they're public properties, you can define the exact vantage point and direction that you're, you're preserving the view. So that's a little bit easier. Um, and again, we took it only so far. If, if the city wants to pursue this in the future, um, we certainly have a model that, that uh, is, is partially baked uh, that the staff could, could work with. Um, but again, it's a real tough legal question. And I think this, the city attorney felt uh, the strong likelihood that there would be litigation that would follow from that. Yeah, thank you for um, that background and explanation. I think it's important for everybody to understand that um, and and understand the struggle that we had and where we came up with the idea of maybe a, a, a public spot, which is, you know, much more clear and, you know, like a GPS coordinate, so to speak. Um, uh, since this is just a study session, I, I, you know, I would advocate, you know, pursuing this further and including it um, with that, uh, obviously with the ob objective eye on that, if, if that's possible, um, uh, that's something that I would certainly advocate. Um, the other item that I just wanted to touch on, uh, again, being a study session is the SB9 because this commission did uh, draft and recommend to the city council what I'll call maybe part one of an SB9 uh, objective uh, standard. And I believe, and I'm looking over to the director for um, confirmation one way or the other, I believe we were also asked to look at um, uh, single family SB9 as well. They're very, very few of those lots. I know that we did an inventory early on um, in the housing element, um, but uh, so they're very, very few, but in, in an effort to be thorough and comprehensive throughout the city, um, you know, we should think about, you know, how and when that's included and how, how, how that might affect 
what you're talking about with phase one with the objective design and development standards or is that something that would be a phase two of the of the odds uh, so I just want to maybe understand that a little bit better uh, both from from you and Tony uh, Bob and maybe uh, director Phipps might be able to help out on that as well I would just I guess pitched to Opticos that I know Opticos um, had a contract with ABAG to develop SB9 standards, I believe. So I think the document exists as a template. Um, so Tony, you might want to address that. Yes, let me, uh, let me just get closer to the microphone here. Um, sorry, my, my uh, computer's freaking out here, but you can hear me. Um, so I would point you to the um, the most recent example of SB9 standards that, that we've prepared based on a toolkit we wrote for ABAG that anybody can, can pull down and customize uh, is Sebastopol. And that um, that is in process right now. They adopted their odds um, recently and they shifted their attention to um, uh, processing the SB9 standards that we prepared for them. Um, and the, their plan is to adopt them here uh, very soon. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. I I think that this might be something that we should be looking into. It certainly is not grounds to hold anything up with the objective design and development standards that we need to move forward with now, but, but I believe we were asked to look at this by the city council, and so that could be a, a great... Um, example um, that perhaps we can um, uh, uh, execute an initiative to look at that as well. Um, those are all my questions or comments for now. So again, thank you, Bob, Tony, and the rest of the Opticals team. Uh, Commissioner Fellow, thank you. Uh, I have two more questions, uh, fairly simple. You, you mentioned large sites. Uh, there was a slide. How, how many, you did a study of, of the HOS sites. Uh, for the, the height limits, uh, how many large sites exceed three acres that you know of in the city of Sausalito? One. I think what? it's the MLK site. Okay. That's, that's what I thought. So I just wanted to put that on the table. Secondly, that chart for it was an analysis of zoning heights is, was just that. It's not going to be adopted. It doesn't no. go into text. It was just for our information this evening. So. Yeah, it was just part of the analysis we share with staff and, and the subcommittee. Okay. So... At this point, are there any other questions? Uh, yeah, uh, well, no, go, go ahead. ahead, Vice Chair. Go ahead. Um, just back to the concept um, that Commissioner Feller was discussing in terms of views. Couldn't you argue that the privacy is the what I'm reading here in terms of privacy, like even from the parking and loading? This is on page 39 of the odds, and the intent is. Part C, appropriately limits screens and landscapes, motor vehicles, parking areas for visual quality of the community, enhance privacy. I mean, that, that seems a little subjective in its own right. But from the privacy aspect, even with the way that the windows, there, there are some objective setups for privacy, right? Like the windowsill, I can't remember what it is, 44 inches or it's something. It's the offset, yes. Offset like that. Mm -hmm. Couldn't a privacy you know, from a height of who is living in this, not to get so far out there though, but I feel like there are some subjective nuances in here when it comes to, to privacy alone. And I think I would just encourage 
from what Commissioner Feller says when we get to that point to discuss the views. Um, I don't know what your take is on that in terms of maybe the, the subjectivity of some of the way um, the privacy language is written. Well, first, I, I hope that the privacy regulations in the code are not subjective. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't interpret them that way. Um, uh, but yes, and, and again, I think that a lot of the standards you mentioned, the screening, the parking, uh, loading, and that sort of thing. Again, the intent is in the code, those are objective. There are you know distance requirements. There's a, many of these codes have perspectives from the streetscape only, not from all properties around it. Right. Um, so you're trying to screen the parking from the street and from the sidewalk. Um, but again, when you're dealing with, with view preservation, um, where that is a vantage point from, from surrounding properties that are all unique, that's where it's really hard to come up with objective standards because every particular view situation is unique from, from that property. It's a tough one. Yeah, it is. Okay. So, uh, what I'd like to suggest we do, I, I, I would like when I we just let me just make question. I was gonna I was gonna suggest something here. I was I was gonna suggest that we provide some public comment, and then we bring it back up to the dais, and then we bring Bob back up, mm -hmm. and then allow us to uh, have a conversation about where we go from here, allowing some. But but we at least have had public comment before we finalize any further. I have just one last question that I'd like to ask that could impact public comment. Okay, uh, that's fine. And that is, can you just touch on the, the potential of water-based housing? We've, we're talking a lot about land-based housing, but as you know, our housing element does include the opportunity for water-based housing. I just want to make sure that's commented on before public comment if someone wanted to comment on that. My recollection, Tony may chime in, is that we, we did talk about this very early on, particularly with the city attorney at that time. And the determination was, again, since, since the Opticos form-based code is all about structures, buildings, um, that it would be very difficult to, it certainly wouldn't be applicable to water-based housing. So we would have to come up with entirely new uh, and unique standards for that. And Opticos didn't have anything that they had previously done. So we did not pursue that. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. Uh, thank you, Bob. Uh, so at this point, why don't we take public comment and then we can bring it back up to the dais to get direction. And also if we have further questions of Mr. Brown and of Tony, uh, we could do that at that time. Uh, so at this point, uh, is there any uh, anybody on Zoom or anybody in the audience? Uh, we're going to open public comment on this item. At current chair, seeing none, I will allow participants uh, on the virtual end time to raise their hand. Seeing none, chair. Okay, thanks. As we'll close public comment, we'll bring it back up to the dais. So uh, I I am hearing, uh, well, uh, first of all, I'd like to make a comment that I, I concur with what the working group said about architectural standards uh, that uh, given the eclectic nature of Sausalito and not to, we want to encourage architects to use their creativity within the, within the basis of the form-based co uh, codes, the uh, architectural standards uh, in other places might make sense, but here I, I'm, I, I would agree it doesn't make sense here. Uh, I, uh, one aside, I just want to get on the record, for the next time, can, uh, Director Fitch, can we get print copies of of this, it's it's too hard to try to struggle through. It'd be good to flip. 
I, I go out of my way not to use it, require prints of anything, but this one might be helpful. The city endeavors to be a sustainable arbiter of uh, resources. However, if it is directly requested by the chair, uh, we would be happy to entertain it. Uh, yes, I, I think we, if we could have print copies of this document when we get to the public hearing stage, that would be helpful. Uh, I'm hearing uh, that we would like you to continue to pursue a little bit, uh, and we'll have that conversation about review standards. And uh, we'd like to get, if we just get a copy of the ABAG toolkit on the SB9, uh, then we can look at that and decide whether, whether we want to give you any direction on that. Does that make sense? Yeah, that would be that. And we could just uh, ahead, even not at the time of the next meeting, if we could just get a copy of that sent out as a one-way communication, that would be helpful. Uh, other comments and thoughts on next steps here? Obviously, they laid out um, what the next steps are. Then you're going to go to a study session with the city council. Um, you missed Carlos. There was no. All right, then I, I I would like to say a few things then. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but the view thing really is, I, I think, central to one of the more difficult questions that we're going to have to deal with <laughs> in Sausalito. No question the views are super important. Um, a lot of people who live here because of the views, a lot of other communities have, you know, similar issues that, you know, when you have a lot of topography and um, wonderful things to look at from hillsides, you're going to have views and then you're going to have people that are upset when their views are compromised or taken away or in any way impacted. So not to in any way diminish what was and what is, but I mean, honestly, we, the, the idea of trying to come up with an objective analysis to preserve or to at least even analyze private views in the context of this new world we're living in is impossible. I mean, I think it's pretty much impo it's impossible. I think public views are less impossible, but equally difficult. I mean, I, you know, I just, the whole idea of the word view, you know, is means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. It's a sub, it's a, it's in and of itself a subjective word. So I, I, I really hope we can move on from the, certainly the private view discussion, because I do think that's essentially impossible. Um, on the public view, I do want to caution that if we go down that path, we could spend a lot of time and money on consultants trying to come up with technical regimes of calculations and spots and, you know, to your point, Bob, you know, analysis of what really is an impact or how do you calculate that and um, how is it, is it from a, the viewpoint of a person that's six foot two on the sidewalk or six foot or five foot eight or, I mean, the amount of variables in, in something like this is truly staggering. It's, again, probably possible to do it from from a public uh, public viewpoint because again the problem with the private one is as bob you know very accurately described you just have too many you know who knows i mean how many people are going to participate how many people have their you know want to participate in a view study i mean the way the the way the discretionary world acts right now for views um and and will continue for single thing you know for for certain zoning districts and and, and whatnot is you know if people complain about a view we analyze it right and if they don't, we we kind of we kind of move by, and and the people coming forward saying our, their views are impacted need to you know participate in that. And we've actually in the last two or three years had a few situations where we we've had claims where well we let them in, and no, you didn't let them into their living room. Or was it the living room? Or was it the kitchen? I mean, it's just it's just crazy to try to you know objectify this kind of stuff. 
Um, so I just think it's it's a super slippery slope to think that that even on the public side, we're not going to run into problems here. And, and I mean, a, a simple, I mean, just think about this, for example, uh, you know, kind of a hypothetical. Let's just say we, we try for something like this and we've got a ministerial project that's, you know, six, seven stories high off in the distance there on Bridgeway somewhere in, in the coming years. And somebody can see it from a sidewalk that's been analyzed in terms of a view impact. And, and, and somehow they start saying, well, where, wait a second, it can't be that high because I can see it from, it, it affects my view or, it, or somehow they work into the formula that we may have created for public views. And then we're in a real tough spot because it's just, I don't know, I, I just think it's, it's maybe a little more technically feasible, but I strongly, uh, you know, I, I've thought a lot about this and, and Christopher Feller, I know we've worked a lot about this and I just think there's so many moving pieces here and a lot of this is hard enough to kind of add this into the mix is i i think you know i think is, is the wrong move so I, I strongly think we should just move on from views um i mean you know this whole process is kind of a uh interesting journey into the unknown you know, this is a brand new world we're dealing with you know literally the discretion that that commissions like this and the city council have had over lots of different housing projects over the last 50 years is literally being taken away where do we don't and that last hearing kind of you know shows us kind of what the future is going to be about because even there there's a there's going to be arguments about what's objective and how do you measure that and when is that the right measurement so it's not it's not as if we're not going to have our work cut out i do think the staff is really going to be um critical here uh in terms of trying to work with this you know giant new set of uh prescriptive rules um it's going to be very interesting i mean i do think you know, I'll just finish with a little story of my naivete as a land use attorney. When this first started coming up, you know, five or six or seven years ago, when all the objective, when all the when all the rules were coming out of Sacramento, um, talking about uh, streamlining and taking discretion away and making it easier to approve housing projects, and the first term objective standards started to get bounced around, I said, "Oh my God, this is going to be this is going to be great. This will be easy. How many objective standards could there be?" We'll get them all on one page. This will be a piece of cake, you know, and uh, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> then I then I come to Sausalito, and I get <laughs> and, and I I get the honor of working with Commissioner Feller and you all, great people. And I think this is going to be fun. And I see this thing that Marina created, and I almost had a freaking stroke. <laughs> I mean, I I just couldn't believe it. I I get it now, and I think you know one of the ways we should be looking at this is. You know, um, the, the, uh, the, the, I think the part of this is as as communities are losing dis true discretion, you know, the you know, people are feeling, figuring out a way to build discretion back in. I mean, build at least neighborhood character. It's not so much a discretion anymore, but it's like these are really prescriptive rules. And I'm actually kind of it's, it's really kind of a bummer that no architects showed up tonight. I mean, I can't wait for the architects to really think about what the heck's going on here, because this is really going to change their world. You know, to your point, Bob, once the massing is set, once the setbacks are set, it's like you get to pick the finishes. <laughs> you know, I mean, what is that is that all the architects going to be doing? I mean, it's really a this is going to be fascinating. And I'm really looking forward to the next few years to just see how this plays out. So really nice job, Bob. Thanks. Commissioner Peller, it's been an honor working with you on this. And I hope we get to keep going on it and see it through the end. Likewise. So it's been a lot of fun. And uh, thanks. Uh, Commissioner Peller, additional questions? No, I mean, again, um, I, I would work with uh, Commissioner Junius on on any any group I I was assigned to. It, it has been a pleasure, and 
I always learn something new. This is a very difficult thing to wrestle. And, and I'm not going to repeat everything you said because I'm not that articulate, but you're right. It does change everyone's world. Um, and we've struggled for two years to try to figure out the, the view thing. And, and I know it, we're almost at the end of that, but I'm responding to the staff report about, you know, future, you know, if, if the city desires, you know, this could be looked at in the future. And so I'm not, I'm not at all intending to hold anything up, um, uh, by any means. And I'm, I'm in incredibly proud of what the draft that you have produced. Uh, Bob and Opticos, uh, very, very uh, pleased with that. Uh, I was, I did participate in the county odds and that creation, and that was just, I, I mean, sometimes you don't know what you don't know, and boy, I didn't know anything <laughs> when we started that, or when I got involved in that, which was, it was always already well started. But um, I think that what we have come to for Sausalito is in response to Sausalito. I, I think that's why we did not elect, or the city did not elect, to adopt the county odds because it was really way too broad and for the most part did not apply to Sausalito because we, we do have kind of funky lot sizes and shapes and um, paper roads and you know all of that. Uh, it really just didn't apply to all the different um, conditions and situations that are unique to us um, and um, so, uh, uh, you know, I, I think I, I really don't have anything more to, to comment on. I appreciate um, uh, you clarifying a couple things and, and uh, uh, really enjoyed working with, with all of you. Thank you, Commissioner Fellow. Sure. Uh, Can I make one more comment? Yeah, one, one final thing. Uh, you you, um, you uh, reminded me of something. I, let's, let's all be really clear. This is the first step in a very, very long journey like any ordinance, like any set of rules, it can change. And I think, again, I think once everybody starts seeing it and working with it, we're going to see a lot of the things that don't work or need to be changed or need to be refined. So I hope, actually, this evolves. Um, and I hope that the city council and the staff are willing to work together with the commission, you know, with consultants like, you know, you guys, Bob, and uh, Opticos, to just make it so that it just gets better. And it's, we're, we're not always fighting about a rule like, like this 40-foot thing. I mean, I, frankly, I think that should have been fixed one way or the other, clarified, you know, years ago. So, so these poor housing projects that have been coming out get a get a rule they can understand. But um, yeah, this is just uh, the beginning, and it's going to be interesting to see how it evolves. So, thank you, Commissioner. Um, additional. I just wanted to say thank you to the working group and, of course, to the consultant. I don't know how you were on both the housing element advisory committee <laughs> and the odds. But um, you, you guys, th this is a huge task, and it's overwhelming. So this was very digestible. My only comment and feedback specifically here is I would ask that we relook at that parking reduction um, as, a, as, an, as a feedback here. But um, other than that, I think um, I'm very happy to support what's here. Well, let's talk about it. Like, what what would you what, what, what would you propose? No no change or n no change. I, I the reduction was like to, and I'm I'm sure. Quite frankly, I understand what a half space is. What what, it, what does that go from a two to a one point five? What does that look like? Um, well, it's per unit. So you know, when you multiply that by the number of units, if you get to a fractional unit, uh, then I think the requirement is that it goes up to the I see. nearest okay. whole number. Okay, that 
is logical. Yeah. Um, yes, I would whatever whatever was prior, which I think was it was two down to one point five. I think in the absence of a master plan, and I know there's some conceptual maybe disagreements um, on on that being of value or or applicable. And I understand that the general plan is here to rule, but a lot of these decisions have been made in a, in a vacuum. The ferry landing is moving forward in how it's moving. We've got other projects in the city that are that are changing. We're we've finagled parking on other mm -hmm. projects. So I think with the intention that we know what's coming down in the housing element, we know how many units we have to. We I don't think it's a secret that Marin does not have good public transportation. And in so few words, you know, it's just people have people have cars. And I think when we're going to try to bring more people and create more housing, um, it's just not a holistic approach right now, in, in my personal opinion. And to continually reduce parking, even what's happening on Bridgeway, yeah. right? They want to take out parking potentially for pedestrian safety. It, it does so, not make sense to me. So the idea behind reducing the parking, right, right or wrong, I'm just, we're, sure, you know, sure. and, just you know, my colleagues will, all of them will chime in here. But the idea behind it is when, w with, with this cycle and the amount of high density residential, uh, it, it is going to trigger the need for convenience retail, such as your dry cleaner or a, a, a grocery store or um, your, coffee shop or whatever it might be so it w would reduce the actual need to get in your car to go do those things number one number two if you and and you know this this well having sat through the the housing element um you, you know our distribution of um the affordable low income and very low is pretty high and so you one would logically deduct that many of those people don't have multiple cars or a car perhaps uh, and even though I agree with you about uh, transportation I think one of the things the state is looking at is actually improving the, the public transportation because of all these housing needs how they do that I can't tell you I have no idea but but I'm just trying to shed some light um, as to why we we felt that the, there was justification for um, a lower parking count. I, I completely, I mean, that, that makes sense, and I, I appreciate that explanation. I think what we're going to find, to your point, this is a moving target. Things are totally going to change down the line. I, I think there's going to be a lot of growing pains in the meantime, and in reality, there are assumptions being made, like in any, like in anything, but I'm just, I just don't know if I, agree with the assumptions and I think when I'm looking at an overall picture and our tight spaces already here um, I just have concerns I'll just leave it at that I'm happy to you know well, I'd like to actually jump in there because I, um, I agree with everything Commissioner Feller said on the there's another side of this that that also is I think kind of interesting to think about with respect to just purely private projects you know housing projects um, you know, parking is expensive, and I think one of the reasons why the state is starting to pressure cities to not require parking is not force people to build stuff that might make the project more difficult to finance and whatnot. That said, you know, and if you're exactly right, in a city like Sausalito and a county like Marin, come on. I mean, you know, it's, we don't have the great transit, and you need cars, and so 
to the, I personally think if, if you've got the money and it fits into the design and you can make it all work, you should build as much parking as you want, frankly. Um, uh, so, you know, in San Francisco, I think they're, they've kind of, you know, split the baby a little bit. For the most part, no parking was required in San Francisco for any development, which is easy for them because they've got a decent transit system and, you know, higher density and you can walk to convenient. So that's, but, you know, so, and it also helps with project um, feasibility and project construction costs. And I know a lot of developers now in, in highly dense areas literally are building hundreds of units with no parking at all. So that's one end of the spectrum that, that isn't Marin County. I totally agree. It is not Marin County. At the other end of the spectrum, you know, they have a max. Now, the max, you know, is still, I think, frankly, never going to get built these days because it's too expensive and people don't need it in San Francisco. But, you know, maybe that's where the Salcedo might eventually get to because I don't really like forcing people to, to build it if they don't want it. But if they want an extra space or two because they think that they need it and it's in a place where they're never going to walk to transit, yeah, I think they should get it. So maybe it's just a much more sliding, flexible scale. Yeah, that that could be it. I just think if we also just, for my last comment, then I'll, I'll drop it. But holistically, if you look at at jobs, most people who live in Sausalito do not work in Sausalito. And so convenience, I completely understand there's going to be mixed use and, and other commercial aspects that may or may not be um, – fruitful for for whomever's moving in but that's much as my last note on in terms of transportation for for work but anyway i think you guys have done a terrific job and um i'm i'm very pleased with it thank you thank you thank you uh vice chair Saad. i'm gonna add on to that uh conversation about parking there's a project in san francisco it's on stanion next to the whole foods which is being built with absolutely no parking and Quite honestly, even with the grocery store next door and all of the services and the muni, there will be people that will live in that building and they will have cars. And where will they go? And there was an article in the Chronicle recently about this. And in Sausalito, uh, is, you know, as much as people walk and bicycle, and I walk and bicycle, and uh, you know, uh, occasionally you, you, you use a car. So even if you use it rarely, you still have to put it on the street somewhere if there isn't any parking. So I think we should relook at in the numbers. Maybe they should go down. Maybe it should be one and three quarters. I don't know, but I'm, I'm sort of I'm 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 respecting what the comments you're making this evening. So uh, let me ask another finally technical question, then we can figure out what we do from here. Uh, SB 35, which given the new number, whatever it was uh, today. Uh, under, under, let's say, an N NM project comes in under NM. We rezone it to NM. It's an SB35 project. It's done ministerially, but it would come to the Planning Commission like it did this evening for an oversight objective uh, review. Is that how that would work? Uh, I don't know if that's a question for you, for Director Phipps, or a question for our city attorney. Uh, I believe that is the case. Yes. So we will see some some projects under uh, under these odds. They aren't all. Uh, it's not. Well, they would be. Our role would be different. But we will see. We might see some of them. Well, we've discussed this within CDD uh, at length, actually. And I see Neil stepping to the dais. I'm wondering, Neil, if you have anything to add to this discussion or comment. Well, I don't know if our city attorney is uh, wants to weigh in on that, but. My understanding is the way that, that uh, SB 35 has been 
drafted and and uh again she may have updates but it it does account for doing a quote design review process but uh, it's review really based on objective standards and then now with these changes to just uh, you know clarification on whether to what degree the public can weigh in or or not i think is part of that debate at this point but i'll let uh i'll let ann kind of take that question further yeah, that, no, that's exactly right. The The whole effort here, the endeavor to update the odds is to make sure that you have what you need that's copacetic with state law in terms of these projects that you're going to continue to see where you cannot apply any subjective standards. And so you're, you're just left with the odds. And so we want the odds to be comprehensive. But yes, as an example, with an SB35 project that comes before you in the future, um, you are limited to your odds, essentially. And so that's, that's I think, what, and the one of the questions that, that I think we have for you is if you want to extend it further, right? Like you could streamline other types of development by saying, we're also only going to apply the odds, even where you otherwise may have applied discretionary design, because you do still have in some scenarios, as we showed in that chart earlier, you do still have some scenarios where You've got an element of discretionary design review um, that you can impose, but as it pertains to the projects where you are limited to your odds, that's that's kind of what you know this all of this endeavor is for um, is to make sure that you're consistent with and you do have the ability to conduct design review that's in the statute. It's just that your design review is you know very narrowly limited to the odds. Okay, thank you. I and I actually that I that makes me feel a little bit better about this because given as we talked about earlier, the vast number of numbers and whatever in this, the idea that the staff will have a, a planning commission to double check it, so to speak, given that they might have missed some some part of it, I think is, is a good thing. And I understand it's not design review as we typically do it, and it's not subjective. But I think that that, that actually, uh, on a, if, a, if there was a 15, 20 unit project, that worked in one of these, that would be, that would be a good thing. So, yeah. And I think that the, uh, there's, you know, it's, it's built in for a certain amount of meetings. So you have a limitation on how you cannot continue it, uh, continuously. You need to, you know, decisions have to be made, but it does give opportunity because of now with this odds, we're getting into a lot more, a lot more detailed standards. And there certainly is, I think when I first looked at this as a director and, what the implications are, it was going to set up an interesting scenario of really reviewing a project based on objective standards, not the subjective standards that we're used, used to kind of weighing in on and making recommendations and getting input from the neighbors, but really objective standards. And then there may be the potential that there's a, you know, hey, wait a minute, um, you know, I, th I think this trash facility really doesn't meet that standard or should be back further or, you know, there, there could be something that comes out of those meetings. And I, that, that, that would be interesting to see as these are getting adopted. I think we're all sort of asking questions, how this is playing out. And I think going back to Bob's other point about projects, which are, um, can still be subject to our current more subjective design review standards, but still must cannot be denied and cannot be rendered uh, you know, infeasible. 
uh, will present a, a challenger discussion because it is it is hard to see some projects being um, uh, you know making a determination about white air view or something and being able to say well and recognizing maybe it doesn't meet that finding really but we can't deny it or impose uh, conditions that would reduce the density or potentially make it infeasible going back to there's there's going to be some envelope uh, issues and how that gets resolved may be certain uh, types of wording or messaging in those in making those findings that were you know limited by state law so and, and i'll just thank you neil i'll just add to that as well and and remind uh commissioners that we are kind of at current and actually as recently approved at the council level you know creating that language within our code so we added um some some modifications to 10.54 uh, we have a subsection within that chapter now that has been added to provide that the commission may conduct oversight hearings to determine compliance with objective standards for projects that are subject to SB 35 and AB 2011. So it's a bit of a different flavor of design review, but still falls under the design review umbrella. Uh, design review can occur before a public oversight body, but uh, as Neil just eloquently explained, um, state law really limits the scope of what that design review hearing can be, you know, and in some cases we may end up saying, well, uh, it is true that, you know, that finding previously existed from a, for a subjective review. However, in this particular case, that particular findings seems to be preempted by state law as it's non-objective. And, and I think that to pursuant to Commissioner Junius's earlier comment about uh, things will change over time. And so if, if we do have that review and as we go through some of these uh, projects with these standards, we realize things need to be fixed. Uh, they they can't be they won't change for ones already submitted. But we can then we'll we'll have seen them enough to suggest maybe we modify this. Maybe that number is different here. Maybe the parking standard should be this. You know whatever. So I, I think uh, you know I think this is an excellent first start. Uh, so you don't, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap hey, up I, any questions. I, Let me just ask a question. We'll wrap up any questions here, but you're not, other than this conversation, we don't need to take any votes or take any action this evening. Is that correct? That is correct, Chair. However, um, based on the comments received, you know, it would be great if the commission could have some sort of consensus um, on the items that they'd like direct staff to look into further. Okay, before we do that, uh, Commissioner Junius. Thank you. I don't mean to drag this out too much longer, but, you know, Chair uh, Luxembourg, you raised something. I I, I am not going – I don't expect the Planning Commission to be essentially a double check of the staff on on um, on code compliance because this commission, as expertise as, as, as we are, as experts as we are, we're not that kind of experts. I mean, our – the evolution of every Planning Commission in California – has been about applying discretion and, and, and these subjective findings that in a few, a few hearings ago I was so adamantly frustrated and freaked out about. Um, so I'm, you know, I, I, I kind of get it, but I, you know, what I, where I see this going and, you know, again, it's a work in progress and we'll see what happens, but I'm expecting less hearings because I, I am not going to code check the plans that the staff check. That's not my job. I'm a planning commissioner and, um, while I, I think it's interesting to maybe have a forum for debating uh, the application of an objective standard, and that's probably going to happen a lot initially, and maybe it'll happen less and less, 
I just think I, I am worried that we become some kind of a backstop to the staff, which I don't think is appropriate. What I, frankly, what I, what I compare it to is, you know, there are technical ways you can, in, in other jurisdictions, you can, you can appeal subdivision maps to try to stop a project. Yet another one of the many tools I've encountered in my life where a board, a supervisor, or a city council is literally put the, the subdivision map is in front of them. And the only thing that's at issue by law is, is this map comply with law? Now, you can't tell me that anybody on the city council has any idea whether this map complies with law or not. And they're going to say to the staff, does it comply with law? And the staff says, yep, we've looked at it, we've checked it, we've measured it, we've taken our calipers out, it complies with the Subdivision Map Act, and, and, the, and the, you know, the city council has to say, okay, appeal denied. I mean, it's, you know, hearings like this, I, you know, I hope they're just not a, we, I, I don't want to waste everybody's time is really what, I, what I'm saying, and I don't want to be, be in a position myself where I feel like I've got to, you know, become a code check <laughs> for the staff. So that's, that's right. I'm just a little concerned, but that's a comment. Thanks. Okay, thank you. Uh, to Director Phipps comment, what I heard this evening, uh, the, the, the last issue, SB9 is what SB9, SB35 is what it is. So we, we could debate that later, but that doesn't really change what we're doing with the odds at the moment. I, I heard we, we want you to relook at the parking standards a little bit and see uh, and, and think that, rethink that a little bit. I don't think we have specific numbers, but we might want something higher than what you're saying. Uh, we would like the, for SB9 standards, we just want the ABAG toolkit provided to us. We're not looking for that to be added to the odds at this point. I believe um, we, uh, I, I, I sort of agree with Commissioner Junius that it is virtually impossible because you've tried, and I appreciate Commissioner Feller's comments on view standards, and I would have objective view standards, but I, I sort of believe that they might be virtually impossible. So I'm not sure what direction we give on that other than keep looking. But if you see something that elsewhere in some other part of the world that has hills like we have, that would, that would be helpful. Um, we'll get print copies of, of the next thing when we, it comes to us. Were there any other directional items that are unclear? Yes, Bob. What I have, excuse me, is uh, we're going to look at the technical issues that involve uh, the MUS height diagram and uh, footnote. Um, we're going to uh, look at the street connection standard for large lots and possibly remove that, uh, the parking. And then again, um, looking to see if the Muni code adequately defines how to determine setbacks on unusually shaped lots. And if not, Opticos has some standards that they can recommend. Yeah. Uh, other things that we want to give direction on. Uh, I, I want to thank you. I want to thank our working group. I want to thank the CDD department. This is a massive effort. You've done an incredible job. So we really appreciate it. Uh, with that, uh, we're on to the item eight, uh, adjournment. Motion to adjourn. And there's a and reminder: there's no meeting on the 28th of, of February. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, commissioners. Thank you. Thank you, staff. Thank you, attendees. Happy Valentine's Day. Second Tuesday. Uh,